We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, he, he's not here. He's, he's not into our, our shenanigans with these commentaries we've been doing. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, <clears throat> every now and then, after the special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something a little bit different, but this is one of our fun commentary tracks. It is, in fact, the final commentary track in this Hannibal Lecter series that we've been doing since January. We've gone over the various Hannibal films as starting with Manhunter, followed by Silence of the Lambs, then of course Hannibal, and last month we just talked about Red Dragon. So what more fitting way than to end where we began, and even before then, that's convoluted, with Hannibal Rising, the prequel to 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 all of it, the, the, the start, the start of all this stuff. Where has Hannibal come from? We're going to find out when we watch Hannibal Rising, the 2007 massive blockbuster critical hit Hannibal Rising. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot we're going to deal with tonight, but it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And joining me to discuss Hannibal Rising, we have from Wise to Blue and host of the the Brandon Peters show. Don't butt heads with him at the fish market. It's Brandon Peters. It's for you, Hannibal. Nice to be here. Great. Thank you. Also joining us. <laughs> also joining us. Never asking about his Lithuanian cuisine. It's Yancey Burns. Hey, fellas. <laughs> Just a massive follow-up <laughs> to, to Brandon's thing. <laughs> like you had an extra 10 seconds to think about something while he was playing. <laughs> But a simple hi. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, joining us from Forbes, he likes to keep he likes to keep things cheeky. It's Scott Mendelson. (laughs) Always a pleasure. If I knew we were supposed to have theme music, I would have found the bells of Notre Dame. I'll remember that for next time. (laughs) Well, how how are you all doing this evening? Oh, been waiting for this one. Opposite of Manhunter. As Al Pacino once said, what a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That is exactly the attitude we're supposed to have when we talk about Hannibal Rising, a film that definitely exists. Uh, we're going to go over it. The plan here is as a commentary track. <laughs> as a commentary track. It's like tonight where I sort of re-examine my life. As a commentary tracker, we're going to be talking over the film. We're in a bit of a unique scenario here because Scott and I have the theatrical version of Hannibal Rising, while Brandon and Nancy have the unrated cut, uh, meaning that their version lasts a whopping nine minutes longer because there is a lot to uh, cut out before they release the unrated and out-of-control cut of Hannibal Rising. Um, So we'll be um, dealing with that as it comes, and ideally we'll just all learn something as far as how edits work on these movies. My sensibilities could not handle the unrated content of Hannibal Rising. We just hated ourselves nine minutes more than you two. That's that's exactly what it is. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this movie. We're all gonna have the sound on mute. We're gonna talk over it. So if you plan on following along, where we all have it paused currently is at the Dino De Laurentiis logo, which is a lion, not to be confused with the Lionsgate logo, which is a constellation. Um, but, but, um, that's an old one. It's clouds now. Uh, 
But yeah, there's a DDLC logo with a line underneath it. That's where we all had to pause currently. And we're going to, on the sound of go, press play and just start talking about the movie that is Hannibal Rising. Uh, so are you are you guys ready for what's, what some would call yeah. the best of the Hannibal Lecter uh, saga? Who are these people? That's a lie. Name them. It's the best Hannibal movie that takes place before Red Dragon. It's the best Hannibal movie that came out in 2007. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, when did when did um, when did um, Alexander come out? 2006. 2004. Okay. 2004. That's leading up to Hannibal. We need a Hannibal movie, like another yeah. Hannibal the Conqueror. Anyway, let's do this. I'm gonna count down. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Maybe the first commentary track ever for this movie. Yeah. Is there a commentary track on that? Yeah, Disney Brandon, you, you imported the German Blu-ray. Does it have yeah, a commentary no. track on it? <laughs> no. The first people to want to talk about or record a commentary about this movie after it came out. The, to be fair, we've done other movies where we're, we're, also, the, where, where we're also the first to record a commentary track for the movie. So, the Hannibal Rise just it, it just joins good company what? here. Look, call look, back hey. to Hannibal. Call exactly, back to Hannibal. there it is. There it is right there. So this is Lithuania. So, is that the idea? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this movie is merely made to hold on to an IP. That's that's the only reason this got made. And Thomas Harris only wrote the book because Dino De Laurentiis said, I'm going to make this so you can either write it or someone else is. And we have now Hannibal Rising. Generally a good way to write a book, um, you know, <laughs> obligation. Yeah. <laughs> and in that, in that line, it's about as good as it could be, considering it is just a film deal. Yeah. Like, like, he could, exist. like it's one thing to be like Warren Beatty who like wants to hold Dick Tracy, which we talked about by like, well, I'll just film a 30 minute special. That's easy. This is like, he devoted like, I assume months of his time to like hundreds of pages to write Hannibal Rising, a book that he had no interest in writing to begin with. That's, I mean, and I look something. at, look at this movie, look at this movie, like for, for something that you want to do cheaply. And like, I, it's not, this is not usually, a cheap movie. It's not like it looks. No, it this like, yeah. opening opening flashback thing, it looks more expensive than all the movies put together combined. It's oh, it, period well, I mean, piece, war stuff, explosions. Like yeah, it has more explosions than all the movies combined. <laughs> they were not paying the enormous salary of Anthony Hopkins here. Yes. So oh yeah, them. and they're filming probably overseas, which is probably possibly cheaper. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, when just, you set a movie in 1944 Lithuania, you're probably going for the cheaper locations yeah. at that point. But it, <laughs> it looks more expensive. Like, that's... Well, it, this is a polished, high, you know, quote-unquote, high-class picture. Like, quality notwithstanding. Visually and stuff, there are elements here to yeah. make a great movie, but, like, they just don't know how to make it interesting. They're like, well, we can shoot the pretty-looking stuff, but it's not altogether interesting and uses some cheap you know, generic tactics like uh, when going to the weird slow mo and flashback stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean we could talk about the sequel to a best picture, third sequel to a best picture. It has to be high toned. Yeah. That's why it's yeah. that's why it's the two hours long because it's the third sequel to a best picture winner. I mean, yeah, it's holding mm -hmm. on to the like the, the like assumed prestige that comes with something like this. As far as like it's a handleable movie, we have to treat it with a level of respect. And you got Peter Weber here directing. He directed what Girl Girl with the Pearl Earring, right? So I mean, you you have. Right, not, not that that's like 
you know, the, the answer to who do we get to direct the next Hannibal movie. But as far as like, we want to create a certain vision as far as something that feels consistent with, with what the they're doing with this one. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like in those respects, it adds up. And as far like, as we've all recently watched this to prepare for this commentary track, do any of us think this is like a terrible movie? Yeah. No, no. I, I, mean, I think it's the, still got some stuff. It's still got some, it's an unnecessary movie. Nobody wanted to know about Hannibal's backstory, but considering that it had to happen, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, this is the Batman Begins effect too. That came out a couple years yes. prior, Casino Royale, and then everybody starts going, well, let's tell the origin story of this. And it directly affects the writing here. Harris obviously saw those movies because there's some weird like handshakes with those. Uh, especially sure. Batman Begins that comes with this. And even as oh. far as like move, making another Hannibal film, it's like, well, we adapted all the books. Uh, Dino just called Anthony Hopkins and he looked at the caller ID and he just didn't pick up the phone. So it's like, well, I guess we go backwards. I guess that's the only like reasonable way to go at this point. Yeah, it's got that Kill Bill checklist of getting my revenge right. type thing with it too. Uh, I... Which stood out most of it. Again, I watched it yesterday for the first time since Blu-ray and whenever it came out on Blu-ray, 2007, 2008. And what struck me about it is how much it felt like the Magneto prequel that, that Fox was always threatening to make. Uh, right, um, but- which is another product you know, of Batman Begins time. Yeah. They're like, well, let's just yeah. go start the X-Men from the beginning. I mean, you know, when people saw X-Men first class and they, they had the scene where Michael Fassbender kills a handful of Nazis in the pub and they go, oh, I want to see a whole movie with, you know, Magneto, Nazi Hunter. And that's basically this, for better or worse. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I do wonder, without giving this film too much credit, would this exact film have been treated with more huzzahs had it been an X-Men movie. Yeah. It, in the, to a certain extent that, that especially back then when it was like, oh, wow, it's a comic book movie that looks like a right. prestige uh, period drama. That's a really good point. It's yeah. expectations that, that cast the die yeah. in everything. Still to this day, it's expectations. I'm looking at this thinking of Sons yeah. of the Lambs. If I was thinking of an X-Men movie, I'd be giving it more credit. Yeah. It's I, impossible I, yeah. not to. I think this gets a notch better if you have a better lead. In this movie too, yes. I I don't think Gaspar Dulil is very good at all. Like I, in your face, he looks great, but he's way it. too like. Oh, it's a Hannibal that I could take on a date. Like no, no, no. It's not <laughs> it's not a big part of he it. also looks like Joker yeah. before the chemical accident. Yeah. Like you're talking about, you're talking about. Um, well, he looks like Crispin Glover too a little bit. Um, yeah, but That's if we're talking about X Men, Fastbender could have carried this easily. Yes. Easily could have carried this. Um, well, he was busy. He was making that 300 and I think this year, the problem, so he didn't have time right. to do this. <laughs> um, and I think the issue with this, and frankly, a lot of movies like this, you know, that are, you know, Batman Begins type origin stories for characters that aren't necessarily in that sandbox, is that you're working backwards. Mm-hmm. Instead of a movie like Batman Begins, where you have you know, the very, you know, do you have an origin story that makes sense, that is relatable, that has scenes and tropes and stuff that people will accept? And then you go, okay, well, how can I make this unique? How can I make this different? How can I make this stand out beyond just being another comic book origin story? But with something like this, you take a, a property that 
obviously isn't that. And you say, okay, how can I make it more like a generic comic book origin story? And that's, to me at least, a big reason why, excuse me, comic book or comic book movies have so dominated the Hollywood landscape the last few years. Is you have the comic book movies that are, to a certain extent, evolving by appropriating genre, appropriating you know, other kinds of movies and being more than just a comic book movie, while Hollywood has reacted by taking a bunch of IP and trying to make them more like a generic comic book picture. So you have, you know, if audience, audiences, you know, they can either see the real thing, you know, Wonder Woman, that is a comic book movie and also, or they have something like King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which is a character that doesn't have a lot of interest and that 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 film is fashioned into how can we make this as much like a generic comic book movie as possible so you have the you know brand x that tastes like brand x or you have the brand name that adds a little bit of spice to it because it can't coast just in the brand name mm-hmm. um, stop rambling. no that that's that's why you're Scott Mendelson. That's absolutely spot on. I mean, I'm thinking as I'm watching this, Hannibal Lecter is not like Batman, a character who it, it wouldn't seem like his his character was created by some terrible thing that happened. Like he Batman. wasn't forged in war. Like, he arrived to be wild taste, and he's an esthete, and that's it. The idea that he needs to have a background like Batman, where he went through this trauma, it is. It doesn't really feel like the Hannibal Lecter we've met before. He needs to always be a villain. Like that's. Yeah, like oh well, I don't know. This is to the to the slasher model they could have taken it, or it's literally Hannibal taking somebody down, you know, one scene after the next. Yeah, I mean we we've, we've lost that already. When you get to Hannibal, right? As far as what we're gonna do with these this movie series, like it's our like that's not me saying like lost everything. This isn't even there's nobody left from the series that can draw. No, I, I get it, but it's but as far as forming a story and like modeling Hannibal as an anti-hero, like we've already got to that point just from the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Like he's not a villain in that movie. Like and this is just a natural extension of that at that point. As far as how do we keep this character, a, a, you know, franchisable? We did Red Dragon, which is you know already a book and already establishes him as a supporting character that is basically just not not a factor to the main story so now we're at this place where it's like okay we got to introduce who who hannibal where did he come from and yeah a braver a more brave film could just make him relentlessly evil <laughs> like and, and make the people that well, he's going at the make the people that he's going after uh not just be you know non-sympathetic villains but just people <laughs> like that's that's a way mm-hmm. to go and i'd be interested in and ironically that. i would Ironically, and, and I'm not entirely defending the picture, but I think you can argue that Rob Zombie's Halloween tried that game, where you have a, a classic movie villain who is given a somewhat sympathetic backstory, but is still a remorseless villain who kills people that don't deserve to die. I mean, even before, um, like, even before, alongside the fact that he had a basically that he had Bill Forsyth in his life, he was still like murdering animals for no apparent reason. Like, it was right, like, right. that sympathetic. <laughs> Right, and um, that's the same year as this too. Yes, big same. year for for, for origins. One <laughs> of the prequels came out in two thousand seven. Sorry, uh, well, Texas Chainsaw. I think this points to a larger idea, like what Scott is saying too about modern movies. Is some movies are just not franchisable, really. Some movies don't lend themselves to that. In a healthier world, we would have wanted Thomas Harris to come up with something new. 
that was not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, he yeah. Said he can't. He has to. This is the only thing you can do is to keep grinding the Sons of the Lambs thing. Well, the the thing so we gotta, learned is, dude, does anybody want to see it without Hopkins in, in a in a theater? Anyway. No. The answer TV's, was no. TV's free <laughs> to check out. TV, you don't have to go. Well, it's not so. But TV, well, you can and even there, in. nobody watched. Yeah, generally speaking, nobody, nobody watched. Yeah. The cult show. I mean, again, so, yeah, great show, but you know, it was more blunt about than actually watched. Um, and yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, this is. It's another example of a trend, and you could argue whether it started with Santa Claus the movie in 85, or The Mummy in 99, or Alice in Wonderland in 2010, where you're taking these properties that are very well known, and to a certain extent, maybe very well liked, but aren't conventional action-adventure fantasy pictures, and trying to cram them into that box with Mm -hmm. mixed success. Obviously, The Mummy was a great movie and a solid hit. Alice in Wonderland obviously nobody's favorite Burton film, but it did make a billion dollars. Um, and then, you know, Santa Claus, the movie, which I've always found fascinating in that it's, it's the Socklands who produced Superman and it's a remake of the Superman movie, you know, almost beat for beat. Um, and it's, it's very much. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I've never seen that. I oh. haven't either. What, who is this? Who's Santa Claus? Uh, it's not movie? good, but it's interesting. Who is Santa Claus? David- uh, honestly, I don't remember. John Lithgow plays the evil twin owner that's basically Lex Luthor. Um, But it's it's very much... It's a three-act story where the first act is this mythical origin story. The second act is... You know, the big city adventure where Santa Claus sort of makes a public appearance and starts doing the Santa Claus stuff. And the third act, you have a corporate bad guy that's that's revealed and it's going to do a bad <laughs> thing. And now Santa Claus has to stop him. It's Mr. Lebowski. Um, That's again, who I, Santa Claus is. It's, it's David Huddleston. Yeah. Let's um, t- um hold on real quick. Let's let's talk about this movie a little bit because we're getting like some significant things yeah. happening. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I said it there was. <laughs> we're, we're at a point where Hannibal's family has been like his parents are dead. It's just him and his sister, and now we have evil Nazis that have taken over his. Are they even Nazis? What are they? <laughs> They're not Nazis. So he's he's backtracked. He's backtracked. There are sympathetic. There are Russians who just kind of are like mercenaries. They're like, okay, we will hang with you, Nazis. We will. They're not really picking a side, guys. Yeah, they just. So he kind of walks back Hannibal's comment in the book and the movie that his sister was eaten by Nazis. They're like not good enough to be. They're like Lithuanian wannabe Nazis. So he just used Nazi shorthand to get around the the specifics of his his sister's device. Well, it wasn't thought of yet. So yeah, Yeah. a lot of this. There was a lot of this in the Hannibal book. The backstory. I feel like this flashback was in the yes Hannibal, right? Absolutely. There is a, a, I don't remember if it's actually a flashback or if it's just him telling a story. It's him telling. He tells Clarice when he's trying to convert her um, towards the end of the book. Um, and now we get a C because we're like, oh, I wonder what that looked like. Well, here it is, folks. No one. Yeah, we're using and this the- is back when uh, this is pre Amazing Spider Man when uh, Risa Fons was like the next big thing where it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to take over the world. He was so funny in Notting Hill. Now he's eating a Notting Hill. <laughs> and uh, Kevin McKidd was a pretty big deal. He was on, he was on Rome. Spart- at that was Spartacus. Rome. Rome and then Journeyman um, did that, and now he's been on like Grey's Anatomy for like ninety years. Oh, and the guy who's in Rob Zombie's movie Thirty One is in here, isn't he? 
Oh, yeah. uh, Richard Brake. Yeah, Richard Brake, uh, right. he's also in the Halloween too. His second Halloween, oh, and he was Joe circle. Chill in Batman Begins. So he's, the other thing, he's yeah. beginning a begins. Thank you. Yeah. There's a great death scene in the Halloween too, where he's like, oh yeah, he's like playing shock, and then Michael Myers kills him. It's terrific. Yeah, you got a nice little set as the villains. <laughs> I feel a little bit like when this movie started, when I was watching it today instantly as soon as it was lithuania in 1945 i felt a little numb and as soon as rafe rice Eifens is saying shoot the jew in the head it feels like yeah this is 15 years after schindler's list and this idea of this is what the war feels like in movies now is starting to feel a little bit um rote and it doesn't have that shock value anymore it feels a little unpleasant to see it set against that it's the same as like when they were shooting people in the head it was shocking at the time, and you can see how it gets sort of absorbed. Well, but I don't. I don't think it's trying to be a definitive Holocaust tale. To be fair, I think it's shorthanding based off other things yeah, exactly. that are already established. No, they, it's they, cheating. They, it's cheating. They, yeah, yeah. It's just one of many ways in this film where they stack the deck to make sure that under no circumstances do you feel sorry for any of the people that he's hunting, even after you know years and years after the war when they've gone on to live relatively normal lives and they really pull it on kevin mckid they like really yeah. have to like, like would, okay just so, just so you're sure just so you're sure i know what you're the saying the problem I, with Sons of the Lambs was that hannibal needed to be more everybody liked him already enough in Sons of the Lambs. it's fun to like somebody who's a total amoral guy who has his own rules why would they think what's the thing that well i guess scott would explain it why are we suddenly dealing with anti-hero hannibal when he's perfectly fine as Frankly, pretty humanized character on Silence of the Lambs. He's a psychopath cannibal. There's only so much humanizing you can do, you know. Because, because that's Dino. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's he, has, he, has, he has a he has a way of handling this. It's like, how can a studio film make this work? And his eyes is, you know, he's looking at the numbers. He's looking at like, I don't know, American Psycho, and being like, well, that didn't do very well. I'm going to do something that makes me makes him a hero. I'm going to do something that makes him, you know, likable enough to an to an audience in his eyes, regardless of how effective that is as a actual piece of cinema. He's just thinking about the numbers. It's like, yeah, make Hannibal. It'll make a, a, a fun guy to be around. And if this is a success, we can make another one where he can still be an antihero. He can take out other criminals and stuff. Was getting Hopkins to do another one just off the table? Like, I, I I'd just, say so. It's weird. <laughs> like he he did he did the sequel. He did the prequel. It's like what like him? Yeah. Unless they're backing up Brinks trucks into his house, like I don't know what else he thinks he's going to get out of this at that point. <laughs> I mean, if he likes playing the character, I mean. It's been what this is like four years after the drag. I feel like it would have done it if for five years. I did. Yeah. Let's not pay him. Yeah. Um, well, also, I think to an extent, along with what, what Aaron's saying, and he's correct, there also is a, a decent sized fan base that kind of views Hannibal already as a quasi sympathetic anti hero. Um, so the idea of him being a almost classically romantic avenger yeah you know you know he he kills the people that that murdered his sister he rescues the damsel in distress while looking ridiculously handsome while doing it yada 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 that is playing to a certain fan base that already exists for this franchise you know the people that you know not to repeat myself but people that were, were very serious about shipping clarice and Annabelle. that yeah. wasn't just you know morbid fascination it was you know something they actually wanted Stanthony Hopkins, is that what they are? <laughs> uh, um, 
again, I'm not defending what, you know, even then was like, okay, this is exactly how you make a movie that loses a lot of money. You know, it, it's a lesson that, you know, unfortunately, not I mean, to the, be the, overly broad, but Hollywood is yet to learn. The question you know, becomes... Seven years later, we had Dracula on two. The, the question becomes like do you think there's a successful version of this movie with an audience where it is just him as a straight up killer that doesn't have as much of a sympathetic backstory because i don't think it is i don't think there's more money to be made with that. Uh, i don't think so because i think it's it's i think the franchise was you know not really a franchise so much as silence of the lambs was so good that people wanted to yeah. see anthony hopkins as Hannibal lecter doing his thing yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Hannibal did great even without Jodie Foster because it was a direct sequel to Sons of Lambs. And it, it had Anthony later, Hopkins. And then Red Dragon made a little bit less because it was, you know, diminishing returns. We've already seen this twice. There's really, there's hardly anybody from the old movie in it, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then we get to this where, again, it's the classic mistake of, you know, it's not just the IP. You know, yeah, people don't care about Hannibal Lecter as a generic what's concept. Of, what's the history then? I'm sure Scott, you're the guy to answer this. What's the history of franchise extensions that have nobody in them? Like, are they ever like Dumb and Dumber? Or are they ever successful? There's no connection. Triple X State of the Union, of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> he's in both of them. This has nobody. No, no, I no. Vin Diesel's um, the sequel. He's it's just Ice Cube. Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson. Yeah, uh, Sam Jackson. Right. Yeah. Oh, the scars. Hey, I, I I'm struggling to think of one to be honest because even That's Tokyo like, Drift was a bomb commercially. It's you know the franchise almost died on the vine after that one. After making um, one of the best of the series, I know it's unfortunate. Wait, we're talking an no. incontinuity oh, sequel with nobody. They've just stretched it to the point like this where they don't uh, have anybody coming back. They're just counting on the IP to bring in. Was, uh, was, well, Viva, uh, was Viva Rock Vegas a hit? No. Uh, Friday the 13th, part three and 3D was a. Well, that's uh, the thing. I'm sure there's probably horror movies. Horrors are outliers, though, in that scenario. I think. That, yeah. Uh, well, we're talking about a horror. So yeah. right. You're not wrong. Okay. Well, okay. Look, well, what's a horror that's not like a. a yeah. Yeah. No. No. Non slash. I get you. I get not you. A, yeah, um, like, but what fits with this model that we're watching right now? So I'm trying to think of like mm-hmm. successful ones. I'm trying to think of any right now, actually. Like, what are some ways that just recast? And that that, that isn't also like well. Like, You'd have to do a whole we do with a whole. Are we counting stuff like Star Trek? Well, well Star- James um, Bond can't count because all the background players usually carry over to at least one yeah. Bond. You can reboot um, with like a starry, exciting cast, but you can't go to this like we're trying to cut funds by casting nobodies. I mean, in this, it's Gong Lee who's th- who got the big money. I'm assuming it would have been, <laughs> you know, Isabella Rossellini ten years before that, probably, or 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 Catherine Deneuve. Also, an um, angle to take. We have this Lithuanian orphan who like gets rescued by his uncle's Japanese wife. Well, in the book, his uncle is alive, and he gets him out. He finds out that he's at that orphanage and pulls him. Chinese wife, sorry. Count, Count Lecter. That's his uncle, Count Lecter. So they've changed. There's, there's no, there's no big changes in the book. It's just uh, how they get from A to B in a couple spots changes. So, uh, and the ending's a, a bit different. But the same. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. That's You'll have to little, wait ten extra minutes for me to tell. So he looks a little bit like Freddy. This guy. 
Who did you look like? Sorry. He looks a little bit like what's his name? The the, the nah, maybe not. I was gonna say he looked like the the ex husband of Angelina Jolie, the first one, the the guy from Train Spotting, but but now he doesn't really look like. Oh, him. Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, hmm. Scott's favorite Sherlock. He doesn't look like something I want to look at in a movie. I can't even read the performance because he looks so unpleasantly self-absorbed. Dude, he's very Bruce Wayne. Batman Begins. Like look, at, like, yeah. look at his outfit. Like what? Yeah, that... yeah he's. Well, a think he's... I get it. <laughs> he, makes, he makes a Jonathan Reese Myers protagonist look humble. Jonathan <laughs> Reese Myers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, like was, what was Jonathan Reese Myers doing? It seems like he would be in this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they got they got the they got the Dollar General that. version. Mm-hmm. They probably would have asked what's his name too, uh, the Scarecrow, right? Killian Murphy. Oh, Killian Murphy. Murphy. Killian yeah. Murphy would have been a very interesting young Hannibal yeah. Lecter. He must have passed. This guy My works. wife would have watched this really late. <laughs> he might have been. Like, he might have been a little too old at this point, though. Still, Brandon, what are you? What are you seeing right now? Are you? Are you? Are you? We just saw like a dream sequence, and now he's woken up, and he's like with Gongli. Oh, I've seen uh, some guard opening a fence and uh, yeah, checking something. Okay. <laughs> uh, dogs I, I, are eating. Um, I, I've, 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 Hannibal's about to like cut a plant. He's going to cut his finger on accident. That's where I'm at right now. I'll tell you what, you guys aren't missing anything. <laughs> I'm watching Renegade, kind of, I think. Because he's sitting down in like a study with Gong Lee and he's wearing like a nice sweater. Got, I've got dogs pulling on a fence. And a body coming out of a bag. I think. Oh no, it's a, it's a, it's. He, oh, he's, he's still escaping. Oh yeah, we're yeah we're ahead of that. She, he's already met Gong Lee, and there he's she's sewing oh, yeah. his she's sewing his finger right now. That's where I'm at. Well, well, you missed him. That scarecrow he looked at. Well, he used it as a decoy, just so you know, on a fence. Oh, we what saw we it? we saw him pull we saw him pull out his iconic uh, tool the uh, the small sickle that was the other thing too. Yep, yep. <laughs> Chil- Children of the Corn, mm-hmm. Hannibal rises. Now, uh, now he's on a train. I like when he gets called to the principal's gonna... office and and they're and they're like, uh, "You're not supposed to beat up the bullies." Like, okay, <laughs> like walking in the snow. <laughs> you you guys are with Gong Lee here. Yeah. Remember, the, he's she looking, was going to be the original in Casino. She was going to have the Sharon Stone part. Gong Lee. That was going to be her big huh. uh, English picture debut. I did not know that. So what? It's like so right what out. are they doing now in yours? Uh, they're up in the attic. He's, she's about to show him all the Japanese um, oh. ancestry stuff. That's why I got confused. Oh, the, the, the mask? Because she, she has like samurai stuff, but she's Chinese. That's what's throwing me off. Um, but... So she sewed up his thumb already? Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. I'm catching up to you guys. Yeah, there's nothing. There is nothing interesting that was okay. Good. Okay. But so no, yeah, Yancey, I did not know that. So it's coming off what like raise the red lantern. They're like, let's put her in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, they wanted her for the Sharon Stone part, and I, I guess it just didn't work out. But that was uh, she was the original. That was going to be her big Western debut, I guess. Instead, what was it? Miami I wonder Vice? if they changed that part completely when it, it, they put Stone. Miami Vice is after Geisha, right? Oh, she, that's right. I think it's after Memoirs, Memoirs of a Geisha. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't bet on that one. I it is, yeah. It's the, yeah, Miami Vice is 2006, Geisha is 05. But I mean, bef- well, yeah, I guess that's because there's just movies I know, but the other not America because it's like 2046 and um, Eros. Um, yeah. She um, had the reputation of being the world's most beautiful woman basically in the mid 90s at that point. 
which is hard to argue with. This is later, but. Well, because she was with, what's his name? Um, Razor Lantern. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Yimao, like working with him a bunch. And then like, then there's some like weird Chinese government stuff that basically kind of split them apart for like a while. Because hmm. uh, yeah. what Curse of the Golden Flower, that was like the reunion movie that they had. Um, I like that one. But uh, yeah, no, like her American career, like it, yeah, it never really took it. I, it's weird, like looking at it now, like, yeah, if you're saying that casino, I didn't know the casino thing, but yeah, it did. It was Memoirs of a Geisha, which is still, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big Hollywood production that basically failed because it's not very good and they shouldn't have done that but um, (laughs) that was like her american movie debut and then yeah miami vice and they like tried it and then hannibal rising it's like a real downshift as far as like prestige project to michael mann action movie to hannibal rising um and that's gotta finish off that contract somehow that's pretty much it right because then it's like mulan is like the next american movie that she's been involved in Right. Well, and and this one is an overseas production, so it was only picked up after by American distributors. So it was under the Daily Rance banner. So MGM and someone else, Weinstein Company, picked yeah. it up for American distribution. This seems it, particularly silly that they work in samurai and and this kind of thing, and, and you know, fighting with a big stick. This definitely seems Batman Begins. It, it's like, yeah, you know, very much so. And it's a long walk <laughs> just to get. It's a long walk just to get him to wear the Hannibal mask. <laughs> like that's really what the only reason for all this. Stuff. <laughs> Can you imagine Brian Cox with a samurai sword? <laughs> yes, no. not a day goes by where I don't try to think about that. So in the book, the uh, the uncle uh, Count Lecter, um, mm-hmm. he gets he's here for this uh, stuff with the butcher guy and he goes back on his own to do something about it and has a heart attack and dies. And because he dies, something with his death causes them to get booted out of the house. Mm-hmm. And that's how that happens in the book. Instead we get this. And by the uh, way, what, what the butcher guy is talking about is a myth. Not true. Just saying. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Give me a second. I apologize. <laughs> if you're watching with kind us, of, you're all like, oh. That's got to be an executive decision that you make early on when you're doing this stuff. When you decide to make a prequel, you're basically getting around having to pay talent to come back, right? Yeah. Um, so they must have known we can, do a, we can do a period pieces. We're not spending the Hopkins money. That's yeah, our game. Pretty much. And, right. and ah. you can sign Gaspard Ulil to a five picture yeah. deal on the cheap. You can grow yeah. into the age of Hannibal in, in Science of the Land. He'd still be doing it. Is this guy, what else did this guy, did this guy, Dominic this West? No, no. Oh, okay. we're not at Dominic West yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, we're thing. not. I was sorry. They were Someone has to die for his brand. Didn't he can't just bring Dominic That's West? Right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, not a lot is the answer. Brotherhood of the Wolf. He has like a small role in. Uh, he's in a very long engagement. Um, the um, Jeannot film. Um, yeah, yeah. He's in. Not uh, not an alternate title for this film. He's he in was the, the Taylor Kitchener's Day. He's in the he's in the Gus Van Sant segment of Paris Tem. That tracks. Um, and then after I feel that, sorry for this movie. We were so toxic. I feel bad for this movie. I mean, he's been. 
I mean, he's working. Like he's mainly. I mean, he's a French actor. He's just mainly. Yeah, he's French got stuff. credits still go. He's been yeah. consistently working. Uh, he's so just. He just. He's not a guy that transferred over to America. That's all. Nor does he necessarily need. Out of a hundred. Out of a hundred. Out of a hundred. What do you think the chances are? Anthony Hopkins ever saw a mask. It's just a thing they use in the. I know. He doesn't bite his tongue off. That's so funny. That's just grasping for some kind of recognizable. Yeah, stuff, right? Because it was destiny. It's like, oh, yeah. It's the answer to your question. The odds of the odds of Hopkins seeing this movie. I don't think he generally watches many movies to begin with, so I don't think he's really going to reach for what. (laughs) He's in, I'm sure. So that he would watch this, I bet it's below five. I mean, I I doubt he he doesn't seem like a guy that watches his own performances. So like that's already out right there. I don't think he's watching his franchise movies either. And let alone, I don't think, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think he's watching like his screeners and like stuff that stars like friends of his. Like that's about it. Like I I think he's far more interested in in the theater, listening to classical music and hanging out in his garden. Like I feel that's that's I feel like that's (laughs) how the opposite of it in a nutshell right there. Watching TikTok videos to do all the latest dances. This is like Art House Friday the 13th right here. Yeah, it it really like is. That. I mean, the, the merch. Like, what? Kind of an yeah. I mean, the, mur- kind the, of is art house. the murder stuff in this movie is good. I do. I think it, they're, yeah. they're well-staged scenes as far as how he gets his various forms of revenge and whatnot. It's a spare no expense movie. They obviously are presenting you with a classy production. You're supposed to go, well, I got my money's worth. Gong yeah. Lee's in it. But the problem yeah, is like a lot of those international questions. It's just kind of Jack Black's in it. Though. The problem is this guy sucks. <laughs> the guy's, like, yeah. it's, it's not a good. It, like you know, he's directed that way. Like you know, they didn't cast him because he has no talent. They cast him because it pro- presumably he just was good on the audition. But as far as how he's being directed and what he's trying to do here, it's just it's, it's not doing yeah, much for you. Fan friendly, you know, likable audience, audience pleasing, audience pleasing, elitist characters are really tough to nail. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins can do it basically, but expecting this kid to carry the same. Well, yeah, because it's a kid, so it's already like you know, <laughs> you're already batting down because it's like this, is just like a you know, it's not some one of prestige. It's some random kid. There's some young pretty boy again, young white pretty boy. I'm Man. watching him cut up the uh, the fish, the the mar- the fifth market guy. By the way, so are we got. Yep. Yep. That's where I'm at. I like. I like that he drew his head to show him what he planned to do later, because it's like, oh, he doesn't. He doesn't have a picture of him, so he did that for memory. That's funny. <laughs> that's that's a clever bit. There you go. See. <laughs> I like that Hannibal has bits. <laughs> he draws the person's head before he murders him. <laughs> that's fun. You'll never do that again. It's a good for a one-time bit that only one person sees. That's the kind of comedian. That's like an that's a that's like an Andy Kaufman thing. Yeah, <laughs> this does that the one time. <laughs> he does it for his memory bank. You know, jokes about Brian cocked out with standing. I mean, I can absolutely see a very young Mads Mikkelsen in the sandbox. Yeah, no, he fits. He fits the Mads Mikkelsen Hannibal pretty well. Like yeah. I could see him growing up to become him, but yeah. Not, well, not Hopkins, not Cox. Well, to be fair, I no mean way. these movies aren't really trying to go of Manhunter at all, right? I mean they. Yeah. Well, right. Like that's not well, really because they replaced it. They all, yeah, all Manhunter got thrown away when they made Red Dragon. They fixed that problem for people. Yep. But they had to imagine that was Hannibal Lecter, but Brian Cox was playing. You know what movie works as a better version of this <laughs> movie? 
uh, Perfume, oh. the story of a murderer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I came out a year before. My right. Actor was from that. Ben that, Washaw. Jonathan Reese Myers. Oh, Ben Washaw. Yeah. Ben okay. Washaw. Yeah. Like that oh, movie. Yeah. Like that movie is yeah. very. It's it's both. It has like a poeticness to like its filmmaking. It's Tom Tykfer, so obviously it's going mm-hmm. to look great. But it has you know a lot of morbid stuff. Obviously too. Obviously you know the story's way different. But as far as making this kind of period drama with this weird campy edge to it. That movie is far more successful than this movie is. Yeah. And it has Dustin Hoffman going, a perfuma. And it's very funny. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't even the first prequel you would expect. You would expect the first prequel to be about Hannibal when he was free and killing people in the U.S. That would be the one they did the TV show about eventually. Mm -hmm. Well, if they... not even the prequel... If they could sign Hopkins up and can presumably DH him somehow, like they probably would have done that version of it. This was not the, they should have taken it. They should have recast Hannibal. <laughs> this is not the game they should have taken. I mean, if this was, a uh, success, I, I feel like if this, if this, if this was a success, they would have made that movie. I feel like they would have, you know, Hannibal, yeah, Hannibal's yeah, around. And it's just that he's just going around Maryland and New York. But again, they're they're trying and to another Batman thing that has no business playing in that sandbox. Um, dinner is served. Hmm. Yeah, good, good, good. Should have watched earlier. Animal it would have played better. The, the thing that was amused me about it, I, I like perfume quite a bit, but that it has Alan Rickman playing a a part very similar to Judge Turpin from Sweeney Todd. And then a couple of years later, he plays Judge Turpin in Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. Yeah. It, uh, Alan Rickman was in a, he, he had a fixed position at that point. Because <laughs> he was like, he was just Snape every other year. Like, that's the other thing he was doing. So. Yeah. You, know, you work around my Harry Potter stuff, or conversely, if Harry Potter works around me, then I'll never leave. Um, because he was such an A-list, you know, yeah, lead I, I, actor all the time in these movies. <laughs> to that franchise, I would argue he absolutely was. Oh, for yeah, for yeah, but you know, uh, you know what I mean. He's not like you know, it's not especially by that point. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. But you know, um... yeah, for Potter's, he's a get. For Potter, yeah, especially like, by every, that point, you, know, you get the prestige English yeah. actors to go along with the all the, all the good actors yeah. and uh, Ron Weasley. That's me yeah. because Rupert Grint is actually <laughs> Rupert Grint's really good on that serv- on servant. He's he's really fun on that show. <laughs> yes, he got he he grew into himself. Um, and from what I gather, he seems to be a lovely guy who didn't remotely let the fame and fortune go to his head in a bad way. Um, apparently, he bought like an ice cream truck with his first big paycheck or something. What a monster! <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Oh. Now he has this Crispin Glover thing going on with his hair. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Yeah. Sci- science fiction stories. He's French Crispin Glover. <laughs> He's Jean Glover. <laughs> Willard. Call a murder. No kidding. He chopped the guy's head off. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, we didn't talk about this That's earlier. Called murder. We didn't talk about this earlier, but Yancey, you've never seen this film before today, right? No, I did. I had seen it before. I oh, you had seen it. 
Did you? Okay, so when when did you see it? Did you see it opening weekend? Oh God, no! I saw it probably five, six or seven years ago. Oh, you're you're just like enough's um, enough time to watch Animal Rising. Yep. Today's the day. Watching these all, I was like, it can't be that bad. But it was this guy. My 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 overriding impression was this guy is hard to take just to look at him, and that's a problem in a movie. He's not pleasant to spend time with, so that just sinks the movie. It doesn't matter what else they do. This guy's just bad casting. Yeah, I don't. I hope I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like, Brandon, <laughs> how, how about you? When did you first see Hannibal Rising? I uh, worked on the DVD. That's when I saw it. Wow. Yeah. So it's ingrained in your memory. I only had to. I only saw there once, and that was. I was just out of curiosity. I was like, "What is? It? Oh, no." So, Scott. Uh, I saw it when it came out on Blu-ray, relatively soon after it came out on Blu-ray, so either late 2007 or early 2008. Um, watched it once with Wendy, barely thought about it up until this year. So I guess I'm the only one that just raced that... to theaters to see this movie opening weekend, because I certainly <laughs> did. I saw it in college. With uh, This with is my, a popcorn and a soda movie. With my, with my friend, with my friend, <laughs> uh, friend of the podcast, Tall Ken. Uh, we went and saw this movie together. I tried to get him on this episode, actually. <laughs> I was like, if you want to hang out on yeah. Zoom with us and talk about Hannibal Rising, feel free. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, it was, it was out. That was pretty much it. It's like, all right, Hannibal, sure, let's go, let's go. And yeah, it wasn't good. Like, it, it wasn't like a memorable experience. But, um, you know, I, I saw it. <laughs> I remember my the studio, Weinstein Company, with with this one they were just like they, this was just a, a failure that they were just like well we have to put it out like they're they it, it was a like, february <laughs> release right it was so. it was well i mean when with the dvd they're like just they didn't care about any notes we had on things that were wrong one version just put it out, out there it was and normally they were overly caring about some things at times and this one they just were like yeah it's fuck out oh, yeah, that's when you guys accidentally deleted the exclusive commentary track and that's why we're recording this is that what happened <laughs> I, did I, I i future-proofed it yes Aaron, I did. accidentally you said yes <sighs> well we, how are okay, they doing so... that weinstein company <laughs> them in a while. i saw a miramax movie the other day so i mean at least that's going on still Oh yeah, this was beat by Norbit at the box office. Nice. Twofold, yep. it was beat That's by right. Norbit. <laughs> I like where my head Norbit. was at. Where I'm like, well, there's a new Eddie Murphy movie well. out, but I do not want to see that. I want to see Hannibal Rising. That's what I went for. So. Norbit. Wow. I've still uh, never went to see uh, Norbit. I have never seen. Norbit. I worked on that Blu-ray, so I've seen Norbit like six times. Oh, that's one you you needed to watch multiple times to to get all the jokes. I did, I did. No, oh, it it comes back around. Let me tell you. I think I saw Norbit at a screening with Peter Paris or something. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was like, "Yancy, guess what? I got an invite to today." <laughs> you're like what? Something good? I'm like better Norbit, and you're like, "Let's go." Guess what? Guess what? Fourteen year old did a song on the soundtrack. We need to go. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, this is the Norbit Handle Rising opening weekend. Oh, I see that now. This this head on a stick thing, um, not in the book. Uh, she actually uh, messed with the body to make it look like a political assassination to get him out of it. Oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. But this is more cinematic, so. 
I I will say that I I love like I've said throughout uh, these lesser uh, additions to the lecture thing. I do like that uh, um, the television show Hannibal embraced this stuff, reworked it, uh, used it, and uh, in better ways. It all counted. It all counted, and I I like that. I don't like that we live in a pick and choose and ignore and rewrite and read. Let's start over days, and I always. I love the the ones that just say, "Hey, this is what we have. This is this is part of it. It's oh, history." I have I have no idea if No Time to Die is going to be any good. I'm assuming it will be, but I do appreciate even as somebody that did not like Spectre at all that they kept the bits and pieces. That they didn't just like, "Oh, nobody liked this. We'll pretend this movie never happened." Well, you know, they, I, I they... mean, he was he was a kite dangling in the wind. They needed to keep all those things connected. <laughs> And whether that, you know, I obviously I hope that works for them for a thousand different reasons, but I, you know, I, I admire them not just, especially with Bond where, you know, it's a, you could re you know, we can start over every movie. And I think to a certain extent they are, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the actors are fine. You know, the film will look great. It's just a matter of, you know, making a script that isn't. Oh, yeah, awful the, and redundant. The the Eon brain trust for the Craig movies are very devoted to the yeah. continuity with, with despite yeah. paying minimal attention to Quantum of Solace. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Quantum was a thing, but Spectre, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, I, I think their problem with the Eon in, in the, with the Craig era was they rushed into the follow-up to the successful one really fast. And Well, no, the writer strike made it a problem. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's, that's what it well, meant. Well, yeah, yeah, but they yeah. well they also yeah, but they also tried like hell to get Quantum of Solace out real fast. And then, well, yeah, you after, want to ca- after I, Spy, I Spyfall or Skyfall, they rushed Spectre out really fast. The Spectre fan, it did make money, right? It was a yeah. big hit. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like the, really it's like the second yeah, biggest huge. one. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Million dollars, yeah, right in between I, Hunger Games and Star Wars. So, like, yeah, Spectre, what Spectre didn't have that could have been some of that bump is Bond was turning 50 that year, Spy, uh, uh, Skyfall yes. came out. And then it's missing that uh, year of, oh, celebrate Bond. It was just the new Bond. No, I mean, still, still my still took issue its time. Was... Artistically, hmm? yeah, I think that I think Spectre performed commercially as well as could possibly be expected under the circumstances of its release. It was up against a Star Wars film. It was up against, you know, to a certain extent, the Hunger Games finale. Uh, the thing with Skyfall is, as you noted, it was the 50th anniversary of Bond. The reviews were great. And it really had no real competition for general audiences' blockbusters from late 2012 to relatively early 2013. Because the big Disney, or the, you know, DreamWorks' uh, Rise, uh, what was the, and the big 2012 year-end fantasy spectacle was the hobbit which was a huge hit it made a billion dollars but it was playing to a very you know a somewhat more specific fan base to the folks that were just i want to see a big movie what's the big blockbuster out right now it was skyfall for a good three months or so and they saw it like bond had been gone for a while which he had they it had been, that it been several yeah. years and like it's a very yeah, it's, it's very watchable but like it's not you know it's not it's not quantum or, or spe- yeah, it's, like, like, it's, it's very watchable movie like anyone can walk into that one and be pretty set with what yeah, they well it's singular it's it's yeah, held it, on its own there's no yeah. it's not in continuity until the next film like that's really um and whatever my issues with it and you know, we've talked about that for eight years or so but it's a ripping action adventure thriller especially when you're watching it for the first time um, it's filled with, you know, 
post screening nitpicks or whatever, but it works like a, you know, again, it's one of the few quote unquote Christopher Nolan ripoffs that remembers that Christopher Nolan movies are above all, you know, incredibly exciting, intense popcorn action thrillers that think, are fun. You think uh, Dominic? They're West serious, was, but they're fun. You think Dominic West was ever in the Bond conversation? I, yes. I would put him in the Batman conversation. Yeah, he's too scowling. He scowls a lot. Uh, I feel bad. Like Dominic West is like that great actor that's not in a lot of great things. Well, he was better for like you know, like he has the wire, so he has the credit of being in one of the best TV shows of all time. Film, film wise, film wise. No, I I know what you mean, but as far as like (laughs) when you look back at Dominic, like. I'm not feeling too bad for him because it's like, well, yeah, his he film gets career, work. Yeah, he gets work. His film career didn't like take off huge, but he get he does have the benefit of being in one of the best TV shows ever made. So it's like, right? How bad is he really doing? And all this, <laughs> like, I, but I well, know what you no, mean, no. I, I'm just yeah. Like every time, like it's something he's like aside, or it's like a bit like it's never like critical success, box office. It's, it's never like all all hands on deck i mean what it comes down to is he's a him, tv but... guy like that's the end of the day like because he's right. on the affair for like what the past several years also that yeah. ended, i think but like it you know like he's he's a tv guy like that's his thing like, yeah i did like him with that movie pride he was a scene stealer in that one he was quite quite fun the um not the swim one the gay the gay like the gay rights one yes yes <laughs> there's two prides i'm trying to think it's like which one makes more sense probably right, 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 yeah. not the terrence howard swim <laughs> the terrence yes. howard bernie mac swim uh, swim story yeah but yeah he'd make a, i mean he would have made a, like a good batman i i think and that's uh, if he was in the appropriate time he'd be a good angry batman he just has like the scowl kind of look on his face. Is he? Because he, yeah, he's this... got the look like that guy probably could dress up like a bat, and go get his ass. Well, he fuck, he fucking ruled in Punisher War Zone as Jigsaw, right? Oh and yeah, like, right. That, yeah, that he, was his time to shine. Like... Well, he's the like because this is like was Scott's thing with John Carter. He couldn't tell Dominic West and James Purefoy apart. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but 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 those two could be Batman and Superman pretty easily, I would say. Like, James, right? James Purefoy could be a good Superman. <laughs> Purefoy was in the Bond conversation in the Craig time. That doesn't surprise me at all. That. Like, yeah, he 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 fits. He has that. He has he has a smile. He has like a smirk kind of face to him, where it's like I can mm-hmm. see him being like a smarmy. First one, that was the one. He was the bad guy in the following, right? Kevin yeah, the, fall, the following. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's him. He was on. He was, was on. He the guy that was the original voice of. Uh, was he the guy that did the vo- did the acting in V for Vendetta? But then they replaced him with Hugo Weaving's voice. Is that him? Yes. It's not that. Because now I'm trying to think of it's Dominic West. No, it was James Purefoy. Yeah. He was the original V, and he's still. You could still. His body is still in some of that movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, he was in that Kevin Bacon show, which I tried. That's got to gotta watch. be a weird ego thing, right? Like, I have to take you off this movie. You're not emoting well enough behind this mask where no one can see your face. <laughs> like, that's got to be dispiriting as an actor to hear. Oh. Like, I'm being fired off this blockbuster film because I'm not doing good enough as guy behind mask. Hmm. Well, and I don't know. Was he this? Was he fired because of adequacy issues? They just wanted a name that people would somewhat recognize vocally. 
I don't think. It was. I, I again, I don't know. I don't know the history of that film. But I figured they used Hugo Weaving because he's somebody people would recognize, especially in a Wachowski produced picture. Well, I think they got Weaving because they're just already friends with him. So it's like, well, this guy didn't work out, so we'll take our friend Hugo Weaving, who we used on these other Matrix movies. Um, and how easy is that a note for? Change the voice on this character's mouth doesn't move. It's going to happen every time, just because they can. Yeah, yeah. The memory. Yeah, there, drug. There, oh. was, there, there were six weeks into filming. So, I mean, a lot of him's in it. <laughs> like, but um, it's not like Predator. He wasn't in Rome, was he? The show Rome? Was no, he was in Rome. Rome. Yeah, he was, um, he was um, not Caesar. Um, um, Jesus. Um, the follow-up. Um, Mark Antony. There we go. Right, right. Caesar was what's his name? Uh, Keir, uh, Steppenwolf. <laughs> Steppenwolf, yeah. of mm-hmm. course. Karen Hines, yes. Karen Hines. We're talking all over the more of this, more of this, this tragic backstory where we uh, get more of the uh, what actually happened to his sister, which is they ate they ate her. By the way, so let's let's can we talk about this a little bit? This whole this whole reason why he's so crazy or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. It's because. The evil guys came into his house and they decided this little girl is probably the thing we can eat that will nourish us the most. Not one of the big men that's with us, but this little tiny girl. She was <laughs> she she was dying of pneumonia. That's why they chose her. I'm sure she they'd would, eventually and, got to each other, but And that's nothing why they says chose good her. meat like dying little girl. <laughs> like that's definitely the way to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just needed a snack. I mean, he ate a bird, and then like he was like, "We need something just a little bit bigger." Uh huh. Because they brought back like animals, and the animals are either frozen or rotten. And they're like, "Well, the little girl, I guess, maggots. is, is the next logical maggots. choice." They tried. It's a good nightmarish scenario if it, you know. Yeah. Kids stuck with these crazy. Not- I mean, it's 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 it's. After the parents were just like it's mowed not- down in some like war fire, there's like a plane and because they were filling up like gas or water yes um and yeah it's it's obviously very silly that oh he's a cannibal because his traumatic backstory involves cannibalism i mean that's that's get on (laughs) he became what he hated well the other other thing cannibals terrify me alfred the weird my enemies will share my dream I fell into a cave of cannibals. <laughs> I fell into a radioactive pit of cannibals. <laughs> so now I'm genetically an cannibal. Now my now my enemies will I, share my, my hunger. <laughs> a radioactive cannibal came down you from the rafters and just my hand. You can book yourself an idea. <laughs> I was in space and got hit with a cosmic ray of cannibals. Now I have rocks all over me. <laughs> What else happened? I, I, I took the ring off a dead man's finger and he was a cannibal, but now I can project images with my mind. What is your name? Hannibal. You have a last name? I don't have one. Hannibal Solo. <laughs> they coated my bones. With Hannibal. 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 I put. I was in an experiment. They coated my bones with Hannibal with, with cannibal bones. Yeah, so that I've enhanced. <laughs> It's the funny thing to think about that there, there was no backstory to this character until it was quote unquote demanded. No. And so this is it. 
You made it by Dale Arenas. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else was like, man. But well, I mean, like, wasn't that backstory in Hannibal? As a, I mean, because that was in the book. Just the fact was, that his sisters were eaten by Nazis. Okay, yeah. That was, but I don't yeah. think it was. I don't know if it was in the movie, but no, it wasn't in the movie. No, it was not included in the movie. But the backstory of that is there because Harris is there, but Harris is only there because Dale Arenas is like, well, the Batman and James Bond make money. Boom. We make Hannibal like this. But what was the end result? Was that he held on to the rights, but then no, no longer. Well, he's dead, right? But the rights are not any longer. Are they yeah. still dealing with They are, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's like, we have Gaspar Yulel. We are yeah, greenlighting that, this. That's we the whole th- a that's, commitment. That's the whole thing with Clarice. Because Yulel has the rights, they can't use him. <laughs> he lent them out oh, one no. time, oh. and it won Best Picture, and he was just obsessed after. So you just—it's funny that that's the Hollywood or that's the movie scene you live in. Now. There's always somebody thinking, "How can we do this again? How can we bring Hannibal back now? We own this franchise; we yeah. have to monetize it." <laughs> and I keep thinking, in those narrow restrictions, filmmakers should still be able to flourish and make good movies that mean things. But it, I don't know. Well, I mean, Nancy, no filmmaker sitting there thinking, "I'll make a bad movie." Like they all think they're making a good movie when they're making it. It's like it's. Just... Well, then, I mean, guys you in get... the '40s making B movie westerns and bringing all this meaning into it. They had this restricted palette, but they still managed to make things that that were personal. Some of these franchises, the ones we remember, still, yes, don't have that. I'm sure, but I mean, and... you get like your Todd Phillips, who doesn't want to make a superhero movie, but twist his movie into the Joker and gets that made and gets someone like Joaquin Phoenix like interested like that's where you're at today almost where it's like well I want to do this movie how can I make it how can I take one of these B-level superheroes and make that movie but well and you know everybody complains about that but yet you know for example Upgrade made about 15 million dollars and Venom made 860 million dollars so we get the industry we deserve um, and the irony is, is getting to your point is that, yes, some of the stuff is good, but if the interest isn't there, again, it, you know, Hannibal was a very good show. Critics loved it. It has a small but passionate fan base, but general audiences didn't care. Yeah. And, you know, you could say, oh, you know, they don't have good taste or blah, blah, blah. They, they didn't care about an artsy fartsy Hannibal Cannibal show. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, was just we- it was just weird that. Will and Grace was the lead in. Like that was, I think, was really holding it back. Yeah, too. I made that up, but still, I mean, there's just yeah, there's not really a, there's not really a thing for Hannibal um, as far as like now, an NBC. Would that thing. show have been? Would that show have been more successful if it was a more conventional CBS procedural or NBC procedural of that time? I don't know. Maybe. Well, that, but what helps it print crime guy? Is, you know, the show is what the show is. And as good as it was, if anything, the, the IP in this case was a, a hurdle because you have people that are interested in it. You have people that are not interested in it. And even the people that are interested in the straight IP, maybe we're walking and expecting something closer to criminal minds versus, you know, Neil Jordan's in dreams. So yeah, you're dealing with 25% of the potential <laughs> audience actually saying, I like this and I'm going to watch this. There's a quote. Did a NBC qu- pick that up to keep someone like a streamer from getting it? Because it really doesn't fall in with the network content at all. I do not know. 
Um, it's certainly, you know, if I had to speculate, I'd say maybe they were trying to get their own prestige cable type buzzy sensation. Here's a, because this was, you know, 2014-ish, 2013-ish, and, you know, Game of Thrones, True Detective, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a question I have um, as far as... I don't, I don't know. I have a question as far as, like, basic cable shows that are, are tourist-driven. Like, how many of those are successful? Yes, you, you can point to, like, like other, like, stations, like AMC or something, where, like, Breaking Bad is very uh, tourist-driven. But are there any... Something like Hannibal that's not only, like, it made it onto air, but, like, was actually, like, on for a good amount of time? No, because Twin Peaks was hot for Twin one Peaks season, was like, and like a season and, and gone half. Yeah. after a second after the second season. Yeah, and then the reboot um, was only season two, so it doesn't. But then that was Showtime. Oh. The reboot, the, yeah, the reboot's on on Lynch's dime. So if he wants to do another one, they're, they're they'll take it. Yeah. But um, but like, are there like mainstream shows you know, that feel driven by the filmmaker? Homicide lasted for as long as it did because a NBC was incredibly successful despite it. And the people running NBC really liked the show, and it was sort of a for the love of the game, you know, keeper. I mean, it certainly yeah. wasn't because tons of people watched. But even that show, like, still yeah. follows a certain pattern compared to something like Hannibal. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. recognizable Loose, as like, a yeah, yeah, show with case of the week. Because like, I was going to yes. say, Moonlighting is a bit different, but it's yeah. still got the traditional safe elements. Well, to I'm not it, saying it can't. I'm, I'm not saying more clever writing. I'm not saying it can't have like a basic structure that's recognizable to TV, but I mean, like, right. something feels directed by a very specific filmmaking presence. Like Buffy, right. I guess, would be an example of that. Honestly, Buffy and Angel. Twin Peaks is probably the best example of, and even that's a that's a very staggered success. But in terms but yeah, of really delivering a tour vision to TV, it's just not doesn't seem to work. Um, well, yeah, and even in the the mid nineties. You know, either the two serial killer profile shows that debuted almost simultaneously in, I think, 1996, and the much artsy fartsier Millennium, despite having, you know, Chris Carter fresh off the X Files, was, you know, it lasted for three seasons, but just barely. Conversely, the far more conventional and fine in its own way profiler, which aired on NBC, ran for four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if there's that many examples, period, of a show as I, I honestly you know, think artsy, I, you know, artistic yeah. as Hannibal or Millennium surviving purely on ratings. X Files is getting that like hit a certain sweet spot. I mean, that's not necessarily like you know the the Chris Carter, Mark Snow style wasn't necessarily permeating through the <laughs> through yeah. the veins of that series, I, but it's certainly like it, it's very it's a specific type of series. But uh, but, Lost, Lost got to do its thing, but it still had traditional. uh, No, Lost is getting there, but it's not as all big guys during these shows runs. They weren't really big filmmakers bringing their visions to television. That's what I'm I'm trying to pinpoint. So that's why I'm thinking. I guess like Buffy and Angel honestly feels like the closest to that. As far as very specifically Whedon, and it was successful. Right with TV, you got to hand off to a different writer, different director. Like it's even more. You got to. You keep you try to keep an aesthetic. You try to keep an aesthetic that you can have a through line throughout these directors. So it's never for sure. Big. I would certainly recognize that, and that's why it's it's you can see that with cable making it makes sense, right? Because it's there's a different kind of drive as mm-hmm. far as who gets to produce that. So you can have like Breaking Bad, which is very much that's a very distinct style, regardless of who's directing. Fargo, um, Fargo, yeah, the yeah, what's his name? Um, no Holly, No Holly, um, yeah, he has a very distinct. Like look to his a legion that he is just survived how, years. Yeah, um, and he's doing Alien, so I'm like, okay, I'll trust an Alien TV show by him. Yeah. 
and that makes uh, I mean, it makes sense that a, a cable series can give more of a you know a lead to stuff like that like that and push like, more boundaries yeah. take more yeah so that's i was just curious if like if there's like anything mainstream wise that like was an actual hit for a lengthy period of time that fits the same but i can understand why it wouldn't because you're exactly right brandon it is a mix of trading off a lot of directors and visions to make something that's generally well, even appropriate. amazing stories didn't even right. amazing stories was not a huge i mean success tw- 24 for one season was something like really different it was a popular show. i mean it kept that format it became a sort of wrote thing because they kept their format but for one season that was pretty experimental and challenging to figure out how you do this you know alias was very groundbreaking in terms of its structure but again it was never that big of a hit um and obviously had a fan base obviously as a you know people have very fond memories of it but it was never a blockbuster success arrested development Um, even 24 oh yeah Yeah. absolutely but it's also 24 i mean ratings wise grasping for straws to the fourth season and if i want to get pessimistic and cynical here i would argue that it didn't really take off as a big hit until it kind of embraced its conservative audience so to speak <laughs> um <laughs> season five was a high yeah no the first four episodes of season six it peaked on the fourth one when that nuke went off and then after that um, but yeah, just, that, that's a very complicated conversation. Um, we we talked over the uh, no, very elaborate. Your, we talked about the very elaborate death scene of, of Joe Chill, by the way, where he had his, yep. his head buttered and Cast popped off. Cut off. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. The, this film, I like, do is, like that he, This film establishes the the cheeks obsession specifically with Hannibal, and not just like mm-hmm. I don't know eating yes, all of them, the better but meat. like going after specifically the cheeks, which was that was my friend's complaint. When we saw the movie. That was Ken's complaint. It's like. Okay, like I don't remember the cheeks being. He read the books. He was a really big Thomas Harris fan. He's like, I don't remember the cheeks being such a big deal for Hannibal and the rest of his franchise. Again, it's one of those dumb things where, well, he bit a guy's cheek and saw the lamb, so I guess we have to make that a part of his identity. Right. Exactly. I was say, is this now I get it. If you know he bit that guy's cheek, (laughs) if you can distance yourself from the previous films, and let's say this is just not connected to them and just starting afresh is it better that way or is it still Absolutely. just kind of yes. i mean yeah there's less there are, thousand, there are fifteen thousand euro trash movies that, get rarely, <laughs> that people love that are technically not as good as this but you don't, don't approach it with any expectations this yeah ha- again you can't help it you can't help it yeah so it there's is, more there's uh, more weight yeah. on this thing obviously but i, I mean <laughs> This movie's still yeah, boring. It's still, I mean, it's still a boring I mean, it's, movie. It's, that's, that's my issue. Those yeah. trash movies are boring. They have five minutes of good stabbing and boobies, and that's it. And the rest of it's boring. <laughs> like police investigations that go nowhere. Yeah. But there's a whole subgenre, you know? I mean, I mean it's 14 years old, and I haven't seen a like cult fandom pop up for it at all. Like, and it's, it's a whole time's been there. It's a rare. You would think at this point, Scream Fact would be like, well, let's do a two disc release, but they won't because <laughs> nobody will. Likes this movie. because it's not very because it's it's not very good like that is the, like it, yes it has handsome production value a lot of horror it's, movies it's, are not very good but they had there's but horror there's, is a but, moribund genre in this world a haunting Jan Devon's the haunting is a classic because it has good production value it's not a good movie but we don't get good horror movies really you got to think you can get so anything even slightly 
classy like this should have a cult following by this point. The problem here is the there's, no, the there's, doesn't have, yeah. there's no the X, remake. There's no X, classic now. There's no X factor to this movie. That's my. There's nothing here. Like it's just a kind of a nothing. Yeah. It's bl- it's very bland. Like yeah, it looks nice. Sure, it has things about it that ideally could work better, but it just it doesn't have anything that makes it stand out. There's not this signature scene. Yeah, in the movie it's cool. Anything. Things come from other movies. Like that's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yes. like, yeah. so it's there's there's nothing there's nothing to form around it because the people that would form a cult audience form the cult audience around other things that this thing aped from. So it's just like okay. Perfume. What's yeah, at the end what, of the day in horror? I think you go down and dirty rather than pretend classy to get a cult audience. Right? Just yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, this is like obviously, boringly prestige. That, you it know. Is, well, it is. It's trying to. Well, that's my issue of this movie. Like it does. It tries to have it both ways. It tries to be yes, a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, but it also wants to be this like gory, you know, horror thing. But it doesn't embrace the camp appeal of that. It has moments where you could think oh yeah this could go a different direction and just like really really go full on as far as Hannibal being crazy with the killings and how gory he gets and the cannibalism and whatnot but it just kind of holds back from being more of that thing even in what I assume is the wonderful unrated cut you're watching so it's just mm-hmm. so what's good, left? What's so good. Left you guys this? don't even know oh. it goes from like a D to a D plus it's great no. <laughs> yep the unrated cut. That's the one with the big song and dance number, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jason Biggs comes out with Eugene Levy and is like, oh, Jim. I'll find that on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, Put them cheeks no, in the oven. I'm coming home. <laughs> I, I do think the film of its own accord, distance from why it was made and how it was made and what it represents, it's again two and a half stars whatever watch it painfully once. average um but again you know we, we do need to take into account I, I would argue we do need to take into account why it was made and what its creation represents especially because it didn't work yeah and that despite the fact that these movies tend to not work we keep getting them you know no matter how many times pan flops I mean, God, Robin Hood's had three dark and gritty reboots, and only one of them was successful. You keep making people. It was, one from, what the hell? it was the one from 31 years ago, 30 years ago that succeeded for a host of reasons that are not replicable today. The Costner one. Yeah. Um, Which was also a bad movie. That's Costner yeah. one. You hate Costner. That's I mean, so I, bad. That is not right. I, I'm not the first one to call it's, it a bad movie. <laughs> It's fine. Yeah, and I've been defending it for 30 years. Scott's you right. And it's your not a bad movie. It's serviceable. <laughs> no, I, it is what it is. I'd rather enjoy it, but I know. I read Roger Ebert's review when I was a kid. I get it. It's um, passable. I agree. And my, gra- and my grandfather was horrified by the violence. Yeah. Uh, I took him to see it when I was 11. You mean the the, um, the Robin Hood movie that opens with a man's hand getting chopped off? Yeah, it's a it's a weird way to go. Correct. Yes, that one. <laughs> um, that was a slight not controversy. Even, right? Robin is just a, a, a is a, is a free to do, so it's not it doesn't even count as an IP, right? Anyone can do a Robin Hood movie. There's no yeah. value to it. That's why they make them because nobody yeah. can and King Arthur and, 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 and some of these Tarzan characters. and yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Is, is there any anybody can do Sherlock Holmes, right? We should do the League of Unlicensed Free Free Characters. 
I guess they did. I guess yeah. the English story. Yes, that's exactly right? the English story. Gentlemen, which they Collins. fucked up completely. So. Yeah, the League of Rights Free. <laughs> well, that's yeah. that's that's all these universes. That's but, the yeah, dark universe. Wrong. That's the, that's is, the, is, the villain, the, is there right. villain like the Phantom of the Opera? Is that who their villain is? In, the, <laughs> in which? Oh, and then the uh, in the IP free the, zone. The ones that weren't Prince of Thieves, Captain Captain Nemo. And yet, right now, it's Clarice is, I'm assuming, not doing well, right? So they got to be firing up the, well, how are we going to do this again? Are we going to get Cannibal back, Hannibal back in the. Well, I think it's going to just get canceled. You know, they can't survive without Lecter. They can't survive. Barney. Unfortunately, the pilot was terrible. Uh, I think it's gotten slightly better since then to where it's something I watch just half paying attention to while I'm doing other stuff, but. Again, it's it's a it's a misunderstanding of the appeal of the property. You know, it's it's yeah. You know, Rice Fons that going in. Rice Fons, he would probably make a pretty solid young Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Watching him in this yeah. movie, I'm like, you know, he, he could make a decent one. It's frankly a part that a lot of people could probably pull off. Just requires, creepy, you know, creepy European yeah. brunettes. Yeah, I, there's a lot of those. Like this kid is like, hey, oh, come on down. They need to bring. I wish he had the ponytail that Hopkins had in Red. It, that Dragon was the plan. Tie was the, the two together. Uh, that was the sequel yeah. plan. Tie them together. That was what that was going to do in the sequel. It was going to revolve around that. Actually, it was around a big haircut day mm-hmm. for Hannibal, and he just kept like people keep being rude to him on his way to the barber, so he keeps eating them. It's called Hannibal's Big Day Out. There's a question for all three of you fellas. You were ta- you guys were talking earlier uh, about Brandon, especially you said you really like when continuity, you know, when they don't just dump all the old, right? You know, but I think that's a new thing. I think, and I think that's a lot of what the MCU gets by on is they really attend to that idea that they snap together very nicely. What do you think it was that caused that to become a more attractive thing because obviously James Bond for years and years was the opposite of that everyone is basically a new it's a new story there's no there's no connections at all is it television well, fanboys like what about that is, what about that is well I think the kind of franchise that we think of is when we think about that thing is relatively new you know up until 15 maybe what, 15 years ago maybe you made a you made a movie it was a hit you made another one and that franchise existed until they stopped making money and then you moved on to something else you know i mean it, it's it's the idea of constantly rebooting these properties that were once successful again amazing spider-man was announced you know 11 years ago wow. um and the idea of you know when batman begins came out in 2005 the idea of a reboot was so unique that plenty of critics and pundits that should have known better thought it was a direct prequel to Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this way of thinking, you know, like, you know, what do we keep? What do we lose? It's, it's a new conversation. This is a new kind of franchise filmmaking. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, Halloween H2O was weird in how it ignored the middle three films. Superman Returns was somewhat unique in how it just said that everything after part one and or part two didn't count. 
Um, it's also like there's a there's a difference. Honestly, in, there's a difference in the audiences that can pick up on these things and do something about it, and the filmmakers that are doing these things. Like you know, you talk about Halloween. Yeah, you can. You have these varying fan theories as far as like how you can connect these movies or not, but you don't have filmmakers that are you know the producers that really care at that point. I mean, they care to an extent as far as we want to please the fans, but they're not like going out of their way to make all this stuff have connective tissue where now you have filmmakers that have grown up with these things that are in control and you have the the perfect kind of property in comic book series and you have all of the rights to all of these different people. It just kind of, it fall, it falls into place essentially. Like it was, it was kind of a, it was, it was organic in the way that, well, we can, why not try? Which is what you're saying. I mean, it's like, it's unique because it's new and it's, it's there for the yeah. taking. It's there to do and, it, and it worked. So it's like, well, we can keep doing that. And I remember in the late twenty ten, or excuse me, the very early twenty, you know, late two thousands, early twenty tens, it was somewhat unique in the way that Saw, for example, was just drowning in its own continuity, almost as a badge of honor. And it was very unique the way that Fast Five you know, sort of accidentally created a cinematic universe by virtue of, you know, not getting the two of them back for a conventional sequel for the first two installments. So that, you know, everything would come together in this fifth film that was a terrific action adventure picture on its own. But if you were someone that had seen the previous four, and even better, if you liked the previous four, it was entirely superior cinematic experience that was on an entirely different level for those that either hadn't seen the previous films or just was very at best casually aware of them. That's the kind of and thing I, I've talked that's about. That's something before. that Marvel has done very yeah. I've talked about this before as far as the film the people that are making these films now are people that have grown up with this kind of thing and it's just like they're finding natural ways to show off like the what they've what they've taken away from years and years of blockbusters and what they've seen already and how they can do things differently or ways that will like seem appealing to them. And so yeah, like having layers of continuity or things that just work for fans which they are like they're putting that into these movies now like it just it's um there you're in a a unique you're you're in a unique place as far as we have the ability to do this thing that we merely talked about when we were kids or speculated about when after we left the theater now now we're actually in the position of power to make that come true and for better or worse that's what's been happening (laughs) Yeah, and I also. Go ahead, Scott. I no, go ahead, go ahead. I think that James Bond would be better off not having to do that. I think I, I, I think James Bond movies would be better off not having tendrils connecting to other movies. And I don't mm-hmm. know whether this helps every franchise. And it certainly, I think, works in opposition to the idea of, of as talking about auteur TV shows earlier. Even in comic books, the, the art styles would be so wildly different that to me it never felt that that itself should have been a continuity threatening thing the fact that the hulk looks different in 16 different comic books and it never was so i'm wondering it just it sometimes strikes me not with you guys but it strikes me as largely as a, as, as a dearth of imagination like it's just this is a different yeah. movie don't worry about whether this character is in it or not because well, not doing that lets you do this other stuff i'd they're, say they're, par- they're parts not people some people make the parts very good but they're parts like they can be recast. They don't have to kill off somebody to keep a character around. They don't have to cut off a storyline just because actors tired of doing it. Just you can recast them and continue telling the story. That's what we used to do. But I'd say it'd feel like a dearth of 
of ideas if there was so many of them. But really, I mean, there's only like three successful cinematic universes, and I'm, and I generally like all of I generally, Dark Universe, <laughs> uh, Robin Hood, Dark Tower, and Dark uh, Tower. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I like I like I you know as far as entertaining movies go, I like the Marvel movies. I obviously love the MonsterVerse. And I'm more or less fine with the Conjuring universe, the only three that have really worked successfully, right? These, you know, the DC stuff is is what it is, and yeah, some are good, and some are less so. But it, you know, if every single if, if if every single franchise was doing this this kind of homogenized version of every single entry and spinoff and what have you, just has some kind of flavor that feels similar to the other one, yeah, that would get boring real quick. But I mean, they haven't worked out that way, so it's hard. You know, I can't. I guess I I was meaning more like, you know, it's the least amount of, in terms of leaps of imagination, understanding that they recast an actor is is really the least an audience can do. And I'm worried we're going to get to a point where, I remember when, was it, or Desperado came out and the original El Mariachi guy is part of one of his crew that comes Uh later. And then from that came the idea that James Bond maybe is a, is a, I feel like it came with the James Bond as a code name and all the James Bonds are. That came out before. There's more of that. That code name stuff was before the Desperado came out. And it's dumb. I'm just going to get to a point where people need that. And that's just, I hope we don't get there where you need to have an explanation for why he looks different from Sean Connery to Roger Moore. Well, well yeah. we got to a point where people need origin stories. They need the like, and it's tire stuff. Like you yeah, don't but, need but, the, they they but, need things spoon fed to them. But who's now. who's need in this scenario? That's my question. That's general audiences. People I see I on message boards, like they but are, they are like the people on message boards. General audiences. I don't know. Oh, I just yeah. what I'm feedback I see with people wanting like stupid back like you don't need it you can get a a a good actor a good filmmaker can give you a lot in a look or a mannerism or something like that that i don't need a whole movie to tell me that well we didn't get to see how he came up that way i mean ray couldn't be just a powerful jedi we had we didn't see her training we didn't see him and then it's like no he yeah but now i I would argue but you're talking past general audiences at that point yeah, yeah. I think general audiences, again, it's what I was saying with movies like, you know, ones I like and ones I don't, you know, Star Trek in the Darkness, Spider-Man 3, Rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi. I think outside of the internet discord, most people see those movies once or twice. They like them. Yeah. They barely think about them again. And they move on with their lives because for them, movies are a recreation. You know, it's the same oh, way yeah. they... People go to a sports game and they don't spend fifty, you know, twenty years obsessing about that one time Jordan scored fifty points. Well, yes, they do. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, some some All of right. them yes. But people, cool. let's let's people having conversations about movies in yeah. social aspects. We'll go there. That those but people, but that's but that's not driving. I, I, I think it's that's for the most part not driving the choices that producers make when they come up with new ideas and concepts for these movies. Yeah. Okay, Rise of Skywalker. Well, they're not well, they get burned. <laughs> for, for the, I'm saying for the most part. Yeah. Right. Six or seven people that watch Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. Um, you know, and Warner Brothers knew that that was a, a cult fan base. It was a Hail Mary. But as expected, just like people didn't show up to Scott Pilgrim versus the world, they didn't show up to Dread or uh, Kick-Ass, relatively speaking. Snakes on a plane. There is a big, big difference. There are snakes on a plane, which I, to this day, maintain would have been a 
more commercially successful movie had just been released as a movie. Great movie. Because, yeah. you know, I, I just watched it a couple a week or so ago. It's a solid three-star entertainment. It does a job. Um, yeah, and I think the hype hurt it. Uh, for, you know, that's, a, again, a, a different conversation. But, you know, you, you don't get general audiences into theaters by saying it's so bad, it's good. Um, I do think getting back to Yancey's hold on, I, we need. I need this question to be answered, though, Scott. Like, if if the with absent the hype for Snake on a plane, Snakes on a Plane, do you think the movie's more successful because they do go through with the name change and just call it whatever Flight Forty Five or whatever the fuck they were going to call it, and don't call it Snakes on a Plane and advertise I, that Sam Jackson's in a thriller? And I think. Like, is that no. a success? Is that a success? No, it's, it's a like comparison. I, I do think so because it also would have been screened for press and it would have gotten mostly po- mixed positive reviews. I mean, Roger, you know, for example, not to be cliche, Roger Ebert would have loved that movie. Yeah. Scott, but Scott and I saw, saw it like two weeks before it came out and still went to the yeah. midnight screaming or screening. Yeah. Cause we we're like, Oh, this is going to um, be fun. I couldn't call it fun. Again, I think the problem like intentionally or not is that the perception that New Line Cinema created with that film on opening weekend was it was basically come pay 10 bucks in movie theater money to do a live action MST3K the movie show. And general audiences, you know, they're not going to intentionally go to theaters to see a bad movie or a movie that they think is bad. And I think had the film been released as normal as this, you know, with reviews that said, yeah, this movie's a little cheesy, but it's good. It's fun. It has, you know, it absolutely delivers on its premise. Sam Jackson is compelling. It has a solid supporting cast. It has strong production values. It would have opened just fine. Um, but yeah, and it's it's it's. I maintain this day. I'd love to see the PG thirteen version because a lot of the R rated stuff felt tacked on, and it was tacked on, but it felt it. Um. But I, I do think one of the reasons that, that, yeah, I do think one of the reasons you are seeing more continuity dredged franchises like that is because for the last 10 years, very few straight reboots have been successful. Uh, legacy sequels or re, you know, reboot calls, whatever you want to call them, that has been a far more successful way to revive a franchise. Um, whether it's something like Jumanji, which is basically a whole new movie that happens to be a sequel to the previous one and you know, acknowledges that the previous one happened or something like Creed, the, the, the Force Awakens, Jurassic World, Fury Road, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those have been far more successful than, you know, the straight up reboots. Um, and even a lot of the reboots, you know, Spider, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, basically was a, in terms of perception and goals, was a failure. Paramount Star Trek reboot. Those films were not super profitable. That's why they haven't gotten a fourth one yet. Jumanji is the answer to our question earlier, as far as like spinoff, like successful entries in a series. Yeah, because it's there's Jumanji is the exception to the rule in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. Uh, But yes, you're right. Um, That was that was the only situation that I can think of where a B level hit spawns an A level reboot. In terms of with an entirely different like it's not even like Creed or something. Yeah, members. It's an entirely different cast. Right. That's it. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still counting. I'm, I'm still counting on David Allen Greer to be in Jumanji yeah. three. <laughs> well, Bev Newworth was in the end of the second one. Yeah. So all the more reason um, to get David Allen get, get Dag back. Hashtag yeah, exactly. get Dag back. Yeah. 
This is why Brendan Fraser should be doing. I guarantee Brendan Fraser would eventually would have appeared in that Tom Cruise mummy series. That it continued. Well, I guarantee they universally would have had more. Turning that good book. I don't know if there's an audience for it now. It's been a while, but I think if you know, I think a legacy sequel to The Mummy, which would have brought back Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise and Odette Fair, sure as hell would have done better than the version that we got. Mm-hmm. If The would Mummy have done well enough to just one, would have no. brought the house down. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this movie's still going. Anyway, I apologize. We just talked over like 20 minutes of the movie. No, no, no. You know, we no, there was exciting to it because the, my favorite sequence of the movie is that whole elaborate kill where he puts the guy in the in the water and like after he like tricks him by sawing off the oh, right, right, right. He tricks the guy after sawing off the arm of a cadaver to make him think he's still at mm-hmm. a desk so he can sneak up behind him and drug him, and then he drags him into a saw-like trap to drown the guy. <laughs> it's very that's a great sequence. That's the best part of this whole thing. Now we have some romance going on here, yeah. <laughs> oh. is, is Thomas Terrace ever talked about this, like what this character has done to his career and life? I mean, I would like to think Thomas Harris would have written some other interesting books. I think he's eighty years old and hijacked. it's fine, like chilling in his money. <laughs> I know we say that well, about people. I think like, you're a lot like George Lucas, where he's like, eventually I'll make something else. Because unlike Dylan he makes money off Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, but there's got to be artistic fiber yeah. in somebody that good to write something. I mean, but to as good as Silence of the Lambs. Then, you know, I hear what you're saying, but to, but to be fair, it's not like he was writing a bunch of books in between Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs either. I mean, if you wanted to do books, he'd do books. That's true. It seems like De Laurentiis like um, booked him into this never-ending Hannibal thing. I get. I mean, Red Dragon came out in eighty-one. Silence of the Lambs came out in eighty-eight. Hannibal came out in ninety-nine. Like, that's a lot of time in between all of those movies. If you wanted to like put something out, well, it's true. Oh. And it may also be the kind of thing that someone like he would take as a challenge. You know, I, wanna... I, I just wonder what else he's doing in that. Uh, like, uh, he has I, yeah. No, but I mean, but like between like Red Dragon, and South Lucas, stuff. Think before it got successful, but it's just Red Dragon eighty one before Silence of the Lambs goes in eighty eight. Like, is he just researching for like seven years before he writes the book? Like, what what is he doing to like? Is his wife a really famous plastic surgeon? Like, what is he what is he doing to like keep keep things going? <laughs> He's a really normal guy, just very private. We say that's an assumption. I don't know if he has a wife. I see par- partner that. Pace Barnes. Fair enough. Right. You do, don't forget he did that black Sun- or black. What's it called? The Super Bowl thing? Yeah, Black Sunday. Black 70, black 70, Sunday. 70, 75. <laughs> so never seen that or read the book. One of these days, it's just he's not the most oh. prolific guy. So I mean, I, no. Sure, Dino. You know, this, this, this is his only screenplay. <laughs> he wrote one screenplay. It's this movie. I right, so I'm at um, Reese Fons having his chest shaved by his mistress. <laughs> Where are you guys at? Uh, Hannibal with binoculars spying on his boat from or something. The- no, from the uh, from the weeds. Yeah. I mean, but that's where I'm at. Is he spying on his boat or his castle or whatever the hell? No, no, he's got his he Reezy goggles. Just shaved, okay. which is actually the the pill the they used on Amazon to sell it. Clearly, wanting me to think that Reezy Fonz is playing Hannibal Lecter. 
Okay. Yeah, I've I've caught up with the shaven. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'm zipping up to get to you guys. There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in this ten extra minutes. I'll tell you what. Well, Hannibal showed four. up with the gun yet? Nonstop. Oh, yeah, no, he's, a, he's just in, he's in the floor. sauna hiding. He's about to emerge with the gun. Yeah, now he's in there. Yeah. Okay. Get to the Hopkins cameo yet? <laughs> <laughs> where where Hannibal walks up behind him is like, "Can I buy you a drink?" And he's like, "Fuck off." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the end. Where, where he's with the guy, he's like, "There's a cop. He's uh, he's got a real knack for crime scenes. They call him Graham." Hmm. <laughs> It's so funny the like, like the triangle, or like the little. So like you start with Manhunter, Science of the Lambs, Hannibal, and then work your way back down Red Dragon, Hannibal Rising, and the chronology of the story of how it plays out cinematically. Yeah. Pretty vulnerable position Hannibal's got him in, and he's splashing mm-hmm. him because he's fun like that. <laughs> Hannibal's got bits, guys. I'm telling you. He likes having his fun. He likes to play with his food. I do like that the the woman when he shaped the woman that was shaving his chest when Hannibal has him pinned down. He's like, kill him, kill him. <laughs> she's yeah, done with. She's yes. like done with this guy. <laughs> I'm getting shaving cream on my jacket. I like how this scene adds a wrinkle too, where he's he's being told that he's he's also he also took part in the eating of his sister, which he did not realize. Just somewhat interesting, I guess. Could, like conceptually, yeah. Like the 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 bullet points of who Hannibal is. If you read those, you're like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Like I get that. Like <laughs> in terms of like the cinematic mm-hmm. you know display of this, it's like all right. Also, he's um, not a character that requires backstory. That's really the, the whole. Thing. Yeah, but he's also MacGyver because he made he made a bomb out of a glove and like some goo from underneath the stairs. <laughs> Classic Hannibal maneuver right there, guys. The the box office for Hannibal with Norbit that's one thing, but the week after is insane because it's Valentine's Day slash. Scott and I had a great. Scott and I had a great Saturday morning. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. look yeah. at all look at all these new releases. Ghost Rider. Bridge to Terabithia, Five. Music and Lyrics, Daddy's Little Girls, and Breach. Oh, boy. Remember movies? <laughs> Five releases. And that wasn't a summer. That wasn't a summer yeah, weekend. That's February. February. <laughs> also, Breach is great. Oh, Ghost Rider. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Breach was great. I Chris mean, Cooper. everything. Killing it. Yeah. Everything in the top six that made ten, over for $10 million. Yeah. Yeah. It was, if, uh, and, we just and, come out in October. He probably would have gotten an Oscar nomination. And Han- it, yeah, really. Hannibal came out. It was a uh, second week, made five million. <laughs> it bombed. <laughs> <laughs> can't compete with Ghost Rider. Norbit hung around though. Norbit's still at number three that second weekend with yeah. sixteen million. Like, because it was a demographically specific event movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty good considering five other movies came out. Yeah, five. <laughs> And it, and it managed to beat three of them and only dropped 50%. And they're all fairly different from each other. Ghost Rider, Terabithia, right. Music and Lyrics, Daddy's Little Girl, and Breach. Like, none of those are the same audience, necessarily. You had, no. You had a variety at the box office. While having one of the most monumental and best superhero movies released. Yeah. Yeah, Bridge to Terabithia had a lot of superheroes <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, no, Ghost Rider, which is not my favorite of anything, really. But it did open with around $52 million over the four-day weekend. Um, is it is it white privilege great <laughs> for Mark Stephen Johnson gets to make Ghost Rider? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All that Simon Birch money. Exactly. He's really cashing in on that Simon Birch money. <laughs> It's like, guys, I know, I know, Daredevil did okay. It did bad. It did okay. Let's 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 cut it down the middle. Yeah. We'll say let's it did mixed. All right. What if I did Ghost Rider and he gave me more money and I got Nick Cage? Well, I mean, John Singleton pitched it to us, but you know, so <laughs> Mark Stephen Johnson. <laughs> what has he done lately? Yeah. Well, it's been a blockbuster Fast and Furious sequel and Shaft and Four Brothers, but. Mm-hmm. The hell with all that. You did Simon Birch. Because <laughs> when I think Ghost Rider, I think Simon Birch. And we and we, you know, we gave you money to make a Simon Birch is a punchline. We let you make your uh your director's cut version of Daredevil, so I guess we could give you another mm-hmm. superhero property. <laughs> Keep it coming. That's what Nick Cage said when he spread the script. Keep it coming. Uh. See, I thought he was gonna dress in this <laughs> outfit to go kill people. Like, yeah, he gets his own superhero costume. Why in this not? Movie. <laughs> like, like, why not? Yeah. Now, nowadays, like, you know, at this action climax, they make sure to make sure what? No, go ahead. No, what are you saying? Well, no, they make sure to know that he's super duper evil, even right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damsel in distress, yeah. kidnap Gongli. Oh, and it looks like you know, a bunch of sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Hannibal has his sturdy costume on, which these days, given all the samurai swords, would be cultural appropriation. <laughs> Just trying to see what if else Mark Stephen Johnson did. If this was Robocop, he'd say, bitches, leave. <laughs> When in Rome, these are these are Mark Stephen Johnson joints after Ghost Rider. When in Rome, oh. uh, something called Killing Season is that a John Travolta thing? Uh, I saw that with De Niro, De Niro, De Niro and Travolta, both of them. I saw that. Not in the time of their careers, you'd want that either. Finding Steve McQueen. Yeah. That came is out that just the like documentary. Couple... No, that's the move. That's a movie. It came out just a couple years ago. Okay. Uh, did they find him? They found Bobby Fisher, ironically. <laughs> that was the weird part. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Stupid, the soul of Steve stupid joke. <laughs> Whoops. And then, then they did that he did that Love Guaranteed movie that was on Netflix and probably number one for like a three days before it dropped off the Netflix charts. That's why it was terrible. It explained so much. Because it was the director of Simon Birch. Yes. And one day thinking about his career cycle. Spoiler, like, oh, I'm not a fan of Simon Birch. Why, Scott? He's just he's a, he's a little boy who uh, has a great purpose. He killed his best friend's mother, that bastard. Jim Carrey's in it. <laughs> yes. You know, one day Mark Steven Johnson's going to be like, you know what movie I kind of like that other people don't? Hannibal Rising. Rising. I wonder if there's any commentaries on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one. <laughs> And when we go, well, when, when our commentary is attached really to the Scream Factory Blu ray, I mean, we're getting gold. I hope the director of Simon Birch steps on a tack. <laughs> I'm sure he's lovely in real life. 
He's living a fantastic life now in Italy somewhere, not even thinking of a second thought about <laughs> the quality of his movies. He's like, I made movies. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> well, he had a writing credit on Christopher Robin, so he had that going for him. There you go. That doesn't help. <laughs> as much as I'm not caring about Gaspard's performance as Hannibal, I, they do style him to be like, especially now when he's like in his fancy. Oh yeah, he looks great. He, you know, with his, it's very, it's very specific as far as like his slick back hair and his, his the blood on his face and whatnot. Just to add to his um, good credits, he acted in Jane's Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> It'd be hilarious if he was man, mm-hmm. man in Daredevil suit. That'd be a great credit if you had. Sure, it's a Daredevil thing. Right? It's, it's funny. No, it's before Daredevil, so it wouldn't be specifically. He played movie director. Mm. You know, at least in terms of his, his, his visuals, this is what you probably would have thought that Joker in a Nolan Batman film would look like. Right. Um, or like a Riddler. Which is just Joker. Well, that works too, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's someone interchangeable visually, I've always felt. Yeah, one's greener. Uh, unless you're going in a specific direction. Why so serious? <laughs> Here we go. Do think there's anything they could do to bungle the Joker and, and ruin that IP? Well, they could put well, a tattoo on his uh, face that says damaged. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most, that, that, that's guaranteed money, the Joker. It's the only thing I can think of. It's guaranteed money right now, right? That's the only thing you can think of that's guaranteed money? More than Batman, more than anything, Joker is a guaranteed hit. Of any franchise character there is. It's crazy. Says something about the times we're in, I think. Yeah, he made a billion dollars without Batman. Um, uh, No, I I think uh, Bond is still bulletproof. Um... Although I do wonder, I'm sorry. You think Indiana Indiana Jones will survive a a recasting if they try? A recasting that well, Uh, it'll make like money, but it won't be a hit. Like it it depends if it works. I mean, we could be all like, "Oh, that'll never work," and then what if it did? Yeah, I mean, if you find an actor that people want to see in 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 a swashbuckling action adventure film, and you know, if it ends up being a ripping James Mangle directed period piece adventure, then I could kind of see that working. I could, I can see, I can see it making, I I can see it making money, but I can't see it being like a, you know, this is going to define generations to come type of situation. I don't think we have that actor yet. I don't think we have that actor yet that I could see all the the people that they named. You, you know what you're going to get with them. So it's like, Pratt or yeah. somebody. Else. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's enough to. I think it's enough to get people curious to go see. But I don't think it's enough to like push it over some extreme. Like they pulled it off edge. Like, well, yeah, there's but, never been a movie character that a one actor owned for forty years that they replaced. Has there been Solo, a Star Wars <laughs> story? Uh, Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, what's replaced? They, like, it's like it's like did like Creed replace something, or is it just like a variation on within not the same universe? Right. I know what you. Yeah, so that was the value of a legacy sequel versus a reboot. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I you can't have that. You know, 
I mean, Mad Max isn't that old, but that wasn't like the cell. Yeah, yeah. It's just more. The value of Mad Max has always been George Miller, I think. I think. I I agree. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't really. It's never been a super huge franchise. That's the other thing. And we we forget, we forget Sean Patrick Flannery has played Indiana Jones more times than Harrison Ford. (laughs) And it's true. That was the the, the little kid, whatever his name is. And that little type. Kid from Nixon. Yeah, the kid who played young Nixon also played. (laughs) Yeah, more times than Harrison, so. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, you can't do. It. I'm like, they already have had other actors play Indiana Jones, the, older, oh, like super old with the eye patch. But it wasn't him. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't conflicting with Harrison Ford because it was a different age. Right. But yeah, it's not playing. Specifically. Back to that one episode, the history of the jazz or whatever it was, where Harrison Ford yeah. got his future beard. And he comes driving into that show for five minutes to get to get back well, to that. There's also to, to get to get bleh, to get back to that other point as far as like define you know that kind of de- defining character in a film series that can like launch like that. I think the the other issue is you know Indiana Jones and characters like that, the Star Wars stuff or whatnot. That's all based off like pulp stuff that those guys liked when they were young. Like, what's the mm-hmm. stuff now that yeah. people liked when they were young? It's comic books, right? I mean, that's what it is. Like, that's the, and but is that gonna beyond like within a franchise is there going to be like a singular thing like that that's going to take off in that same way i don't see it happening very often beyond just the next comic that you adapt that turn ten, you know works out well enough like is there is, you know you need a a completely new comic book character that has an actor that's just in the right place at the right time that just works and i don't i have no doubt that that will happen but it, you can't predict what that's going to be right Right, or if it'll we happen watched. on the first about- first try out, it might be the one that picks up in the sequel. Right. Where you're like, oh, yeah. Are we talking about just general new to cinema? Question. Or I thought we were talking about replacing something that had been oh. around for. Are we? <laughs> no. What well, reason? Yeah, we're at the finale. Now Risa Fon's gonna like try to cut something, and then he's gonna fuck up and. Guy smashed by a boat. I guess Peter Sellers played Inspector Clouseau for like twenty years mm-hmm. before Robert yeah, but... before Roberto Benigni took that franchise to a whole new level. Well, Steve Martin. Did. <laughs> You've got John McClane, Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's actually uh, well, playing that part. Well, Fox dumped again, that. It's, it's that's so. the issue with these. That's that's the issue with these cinema first characters, which they are defined by the actor that played them. Ripley with you know, aliens. With Batman, it can be, it can be, yeah, it can be anybody underneath the mask. Same thing with Spider Man. Uh, um, but with something like you know, Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. John McClane yeah. is Bruce Willis. Um, and you know it's 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 different when it's it's even James Bond, which which was at least a novel series beforehand. Um, was that seen as a surprise when Roger Moore did when that series kept going, or was that no? Because Roger Moore think, that was, thought he was in the he was in contention to begin with. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it also was almost the only game in town. You know, there weren't a lot of other franchises that offered that level of action, adventure, and spectacle. Yeah. You know, travel logs, gadgets, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was, you know, up until the 80s, it was James Bond or nothing. Right. It was James Bond and Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes was the only other franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you had the hammer, the hammer Dracula, yeah. which were period yeah. horror pieces. Um, and you know, it's it's you know, you know, Enter the Dragon obviously could have been a contender had Bruce Lee lived, but because he didn't, it really James James Bond really didn't run any trouble into the until the eighties when it was up right. against Indiana Jones. Ghostbusters, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, RoboCop, AIDS. When it was not only not AIDS, yes, of course. (laughs) You know, Miami Vice, and you know, to a certain extent, Batman. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that License to Kill stumbled opening in the summer of '89. Right. Um, And that's why Goldeneye was so important. Six years later, this this is when he tells that he ate his sister. I forgot that I thought it was earlier. This is yeah. oh yeah, yeah 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 okay. That was that was the ace up his sleeve to in case Hannibal gets to me. <laughs> let me let me drop this nugget. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he has he has the the dagger so specifically placed and just magically gets hit by the bullet in there. But... Oh, Hannibal knew that was he knew that he was going to get shot directly in the shoulder blades and it was going to hit his sword. That's an interesting talking about James Bond and Goldeneye. That, that's an art in and of itself is timing the reboot or the bringing the character back successfully. I remember seeing Goldeneye in the theater opening night when the big stunt happens and he's falling after the plane. Everybody just exploded into applause. They just wanted James Bond right then and there. Yes, but the franchise still had to prove that it belonged in the same sandbox. That it yeah. was one of the one of the if not the biggest and obviously it wasn't the biggest at that point you know action spectacle blockbuster franchise in a world where you had die hard and Terminator two and you know the batman films but even then it's still uh, like that's what Bob, it's still one of the ones yeah. that's doing it like it's one of the few ones that's doing yes. it at that level there's not another franchise yes, where you you're can, absolutely right you can't you know another franchise where the cold the, the first 10 minutes are a guy jumps off a dam then rides yeah. a motorcycle <laughs> off a cliff and then catches a plane it's like yeah that's that. huge you're absolutely right. It's the same thing with the prequel franchise. You know, the same thing with the prequel Star Wars movies is that, you know, it wasn't really until Revenge of the Sith where you had a Star Wars film existing in an environment where it had lots of competition for that level of scale and spectacle. Because by 2005, you've got Spider-Man, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, did I say Matrix already? Because Yeah, Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, where it's really not the only game in town. Yet Star Wars I've always is felt still a the hit. Last 20... Yeah, oh yeah, it was still huge. Um, and I still maintain that the last 40 minutes of Attack of the Clones, and especially the first 25 minutes of Revenge of the Sith, was basically a, a get off my lawn, I'm still the king of the hill here. Yeah, for sure. It was a show of force. Ooh, puns. Oh. Nice. Oh, in the last yeah, not you know, he's carving his sister's initial. <laughs> is this where he rises? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was he was slowly crouching most of the movie, but he finally rises towards the end here. <laughs> the carnival rises. What are the greatest films with some form of the word rise in the title? Well, what was the first rises, by the way, now that you're saying it? Yeah. Uh, rise of the Planet of the Apes is pretty darn good. Yeah, r- yep, that's true. Uh, that's probably the best. The Ape series with the unfortunate titles, but great films. Like that's yep. <laughs> um, and I have my issues with Dark Knight Rises, but it certainly has aged well. I think uh, Rising Sun with uh, Wesley with Snipes and Sean Connery. Obviously, there you go. Yeah, 
Yes, prequel to Sun. <laughs> Rising Sun. That's that's everyone's favorite Michael Crichton uh, thing, I think, actually. So. Everyone. The Black Moon Rising yes. with Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I just t- saw uh, that. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. We're fans of that. Oh, movie. Rise. Yep. Yep. That what started this trend? Yes. Was Rise of the Machines. It started this trend of sequels with Rise. I don't uh, think it was an intentional trend. I think it was just something that people latched on to. Was the first one that was Rise of the Machines? Oh. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's certainly a big one. <laughs> I, I still maintain that The Dark Knight Rises was a title that came up after everybody just completely forgot to think of a title and they had 10 minutes before the meeting. <laughs> I, nice. I feel like it's like, uh, let me, no one being like, let me do whatever I want with this film. You can name it. <laughs> like, that, I don't that care. Too, probably. Um, let's oh. see. Ni- 1998 was big. We had Deep Rising, and um, oh, I just had it. What was it? Um, uh, Mercury Rising, of course. Oh yeah. Ah. <laughs> big year for Rising. Um, uh, let's see. The Rise yeah, of Cobra. Climaxes with him taking his revenge and eating the guy's face. Because again, that's not just something he did that one time. That's a part of his identity. There was the film Rise, of course. Yeah. Uh, I remember your snop your uh, excerpt. Wikipedia comes to life. <laughs> Three hundred rise of an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, the first in the trilogy, the wind rises from Hiro Miyazaki. I'm sure he's making those sequels. <laughs> rise of the Guardians. We talked about that tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Second yeah. for that. That's Under- how long this movie. Rise of the Lichens. <laughs> Oh, behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. There you go. Yeah, I like that one. The Seeker, the Dark Wilder. Rising. Wait, what was the Carlitos Way sequel? Was that Rise to Power? Yes. Yes. Yep. Mark, people. All right. And that might be it. There's Van Wilder 2, the rise of Taj. That's pretty uh, yep. legendary. There's um let's see. Uh the Cohen brothers of Rising Arizona. That's a good one. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. Mm. We're towards the end here. Hannibal's killed almost everybody except one last guy. And he's gonna get him good. I think we see it off screen. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't show that. So if you've seen People that are watching the extended cut, is there anything of interest that we didn't see? Yeah, the 10 minutes is the best part of the movie. Yeah. You, that's, <laughs> well, that's for the Out Now Nights extended commentary. All right, so the 10-minute car chase in so, Venice. So, so in the book, he doesn't fake his death. He manages to get away with stuff, and he goes to study in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, oh. But this, in this movie has us believe that he fakes Hannibal Lecter fakes his death, only to go to America to go by the name Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Skywalker. Yeah, exactly. It's like going to Tatooine and hiding a kid named Skywalker and keeping his name yeah. Skywalker, and then changing your own name as the one of the last Jedi in the realm to Ben Kenobi. Yeah, <laughs> they'll never find me. Everybody, everybody's pretty cool in, in Tatooine too. Famously cool, so they won't they won't rat me out. I can't wait for I can't wait for them to explain all this in the Obi Wan series. Like we need to really work, you know, because these are what fans complain that's about. A, I so we guarantee need you, that's going to be a big part of it. I guarantee it. It's like 
You know, oh. Dexter Jetster will walk up to Obi Wan. It's like, hey Obi Wan, why'd you do? Why'd you leave Luke Skywalker here and name him the new Luke Skywalker? <laughs> Be like, well, let me tell you a story. Hey, it's a funny story that will last five episodes. Oh, uh, the name Kenobi. It's like the Smiths of the galaxy my um, funny thing my <laughs> uncle was always called ben and i thought that'd be a good alias but what about your last name and the fact that you look like yourself you know <laughs> no one will ever believe a skywalker would live here so we'll see why uncle ben thought he was a wizard this is gonna be this is gonna be wizard. great when we all tweet about how great obi-wan the show is on disney plus to shill for it some more <laughs> <laughs> Well, prove us wrong. I'll happily eat crow. I got my check today, so it's obviously getting one positive episode review. <laughs> All right, and Hannibal has risen. I can't find a, like, I can't find a popular franchise where Rise was a thing before Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. That might be the one that we solved another of life's questions tonight. Oh I, yeah, the listeners all submitted questions before this one, and that was one of the races. Like, what was what was the first rising <laughs> that took place? So we we finally answered. Yeah, I think part of it is because there were just fewer franchises overall up until about fifteen twenty years ago. Now it's all we get. It feels like, but now they yeah, have to yeah. get, now they have I mean, to get clever. Just... So it's uprising, rise of this, resurgence. Revelations. Don't forget revelations. A new legacy. Hannibal revelations. Which do we use? Dawn or rise? Dawn or rise? Young blank. Colon a Fast and Furious story. Colon a Star Wars story. Rise of the Dawn. Butch and Sundance had it right. The early years. Done. In those days when you just missed the number two. Well, for this yeah, there, movie, there was a while. For this movie, in the three days since I've watched it, it has not gotten better. Uh, but we've certainly uh, <laughs> no, we've certainly got over it with a fine tooth comb to talk about many things about Hannibal Rising, such as the James Bond franchise, Star Wars, <laughs> equals comic book movies, various recastings <laughs> of characters. <laughs> you might. <laughs> And, and the important ca- commentary where it might not have been one, I think. And the career of Gaspar de Bula Hill. <laughs> listening to this right now and hating our guts. Good times. Yeah, but uh, with, with with that in mind, I think we can wrap this up. Uh, you guys are at the credits, right? Not just it's not just Scott and I. Did you get to any of the credits? credits? Yeah, I'm on the credits. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that'd be funny if it was still going. The uh, credits but- are rising. They are, they are. They are. They are right. It's, it's not. A, it's not a Fincher situation where they're going backwards. So we all. It worked out that way. Uh, but with uh, with this that isn't mind, just the end of the movie. And, and Kevin Spacey as young Jack Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just the end of the movie. This is the end of our Hannibal Lecter series. It's over. And uh, we've accomplished this... something remarkable and unprecedented in movie blogdom. And I, I think we've come across many revelations throughout this uh, commentary franchise that have all uh, culminated in what I think is the the apex of commentary recording for podcasts. So uh, I, I'm glad that you guys were here to enjoy that with me. Like, that's really... I'm sorry, Peter Paris couldn't be here. I'm sorry, Peter Paris couldn't be here to talk his favorite of the series, but we hope we did him 
justice. The I, underdog. It's the underdog. Yeah, series. The underdog yep. yeah I did make the youngest all... one, so of course he likes it. <laughs> I did, make, I did make yep. us all underdog trophies for this franchise, so I hope they get in the mail <laughs> soon enough. Um, but uh, with, with all that said, as we wrap it up here, um, let's uh, let's let's go over. So let's go over where you guys uh, can find all your guys' work. Let's start. Let's let's go from top to bottom. Yancey, where, where, what are you doing? Where do you want to plug? Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to plug much. I'm still deep in early fatherhood. And I'm a famous underachiever. So right now, if you want to catch my action, you can catch it on this uh, this commentary channel when you guys invite me. Um, so hopefully, eventually, there'll be a blog or something because I do enjoy talking about movies with you guys. Scott Mendelson? Uh, business as usual, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. Uh, I'm on Twitter and at Scott Mendelson. Brandon Peters. The Brandon Peters Show.com. Uh... That's my podcast. It's everywhere podcasts are found. My written stuff's at whysoblue.com. And you find me on the socials at branded4kuhd. You can also find me on whysoblue.com as well as I leave entertainment.com. I uh, occasionally get some stuff out for a variety. I just talked to the stunt coordinator for Mortal Kombat in that regard. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All the episodes of this podcast uh, you can find on iTunes and everywhere you can find our show. You can find us on all the socials as well. Um, I do thank you, Brandon, Scott, and Yancey for joining me for this uh, commentary track and generally this series. You guys were very on, on varying entries of all of these. Mm-hmm. Great times. Mm-hmm. It's an honor and or privilege. And uh, coming up in June, we got some options, but I think we're going to talk about the first Fast and Furious movie. I think that's the uh, that's the plan right now. As we've as as Brandon, we we famously have done Too Fast and Furious and Tokyo Drift, so it just makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> to do the first one before um, right before F nine colon the Fast Saga arrives in theaters. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be the plan there. Um, Get your Coronas ready. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is <laughs> that is going to do it for this commentary track, where the credits for a two hour movie are still going incredibly slow. Um, so with all that said. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, so long. Let's go. Yeah. For those of you that want to know what we're all about, it's like this, y'all. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the need his name up in lights he just wants to be heard whether it's the beat of the mic he feels so unlike everybody else alone in spite of the fact that some people still think that they know him but fuck him he knows the code it's not about the salary it's all about reality and making some noise making a story making sure his click stays up that means when he puts it down talks picking it up let's go who the hell is he anyway he never really talks much never concerned with status but still even him starstruck humble through opportunities given despite the fact that many misjudge him cause he makes a living from writing raps Put it together himself, got a picture connects Never asking for someone's help, but to get some respect He's only focused on what he wrote, his will is beyond reach And now it all unfolds, the skill of an artist This is 20% skill, 80% fear, be 100% clear Cause Ryu was ill, who would've thought he'd be the one that set the West in flames Then I heard him wreck it with the crystal method, name of the game Came back, dropped mega death, took him to church I like bleach, man, Ryu had this Stupidest verse, this dude is the truth Now everybody giving them guest spots His stocks through the roof, I heard he fucking with that stock This is 10% luck, 20% skill 15% concentrated power of will 5% pleasure, 50% pain And 100% reason to remember
sick and he's spitting fire and Mike got him out the dryer. He's hot, found him in Fort Minor.